either. Welcome to episode number seven of the Square Waves FM podcast. Uh, terrific to have you with us as always, and we've got an extra special guest with us this time along. Uh, my name is the King of All Cosmos. I am fresh from my drunken bender destroying every star in the sky. And uh, with me, as always, is my co-host... Alamo! <laughs> 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 that speaks for itself, I guess. Oh, that was that that was that adventure game made by what are they called? Is that Tierra? By Himalaya, yeah. Himalaya, that's right. Oh, well, contain my, yourself, uh, Francisco. You hint at that game once an episode. My condolences. Oh, I just out I outed our mystery guest. Please introduce yourself. Oh, outed. Oh, hello, I'm Cedric the Owl. Oh gosh. <laughs> That's it for this yeah, week. I mean, you, I mean, you, you hi, fulfilled I'm, your role. You you can go yeah. home now. Oh, fine. <laughs> hi, I'm Francisco. Uh, I I'm a guy who does a podcast and other stuff. I guess you do many other things aside from a podcast. You you go to fancy game developers conferences. Oh yeah, that's that, that's that's this week. Oh, it is, going, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's in two days actually. I'm going for the full week this time. Oh, that's excellent. Oh, Where is congrats. it this year? Uh, San Francisco as usual. Ah, that's, oh, that's awesome. Where it's where it's uh, warmer than it is here, which makes me sad. It's like the same temperature every day of the year in San Francisco. I don't know what you call it in Fahrenheit. It's like seventy in Fahrenheit. Yeah, pretty. Day, yeah, I think it? it's like plus. It's like plus foggy. Yeah. Right. No, it's a beautiful city. It's just it's yeah. It's, it's just a little. It's a little too consistent for my liking sometimes. But yeah, no, it's it's very nice. I like I always enjoy going, and they have really good clam chowder, which I always enjoy getting every time I go. Mm. Oh, nice! I yeah. always usually get sushi out there. It's fantastic. Did did you mm. manage to score yourself a main conference pass? No, I'm going on the summits and tutorials pass this time around. Ah, I but, went on that. Uh, uh, the only time I went to GDC, I went on the summits and tutorials pass myself. I see. Did you enjoy the summits and tutorials? <laughs> Oh, no, they were terrible, but oh, oh, I, uh, <laughs> but but it's like really just an excuse to get inside the building and run into to John Romero. So, yeah, oh, no, it's totally it. worth it. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it because apparently Christy Marks, uh, who did Conquests of the Longbow and Camelot, is giving... Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. And Quest and, for Glory, yeah. Uh no, that was uh, no. She, she didn't do any. That's the other. That was uh, the other Christy Marks. Lori, Lori Cole. Cole. Oh, that was Cole. Christy Marks. <laughs> yeah. Is she a? She's a writer too, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. She created she, yeah. novelists. Jim and Yeah, yeah. And oh, okay. She for like every single Saturday morning cartoon in the eighties. Oh, that's right. Which is pretty amazing. Yeah, she's pretty amazing. Um, I got to interview her once uh, four or five years ago, and she like I don't know. It was like the most embarrassing interview ever because she just kind of like. I don't know. She didn't tear, tear, tear me a new hole, but she basically just said, you you got to be like the dumbest human being I've ever dealt with. Oh, what? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Why did that be terrible? truly outrageous. Yeah. Oh, no, no. She, 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 only, she only implied that. She didn't... Uh, she, she, it was, I was asking her these really ignorant questions like, like, why, you know, why in Conquests of Camelot did you make... Um, 
Hi. It was like it's like a very dumb, obvious question. Like, why did you make um, uh, Sir Lancelot a side character and Sir Richard the main character or something? I can't remember the, even the characters in that game. And uh, she's like, um, because those are the best characters to make. Next question. Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go up to her and I'm gonna uh, after the talk and I'm gonna be like Chris sends his regards and then I'll stab her or something. <laughs> uh, did I just say that? No, I, I wouldn't. I meant stab her with love. I think you'll no longer have plausible deniability by podcasting this. I'm not digging. I'm I'm not digging my hole any deeper. What are you talking about? But uh, yeah, That's no, there's we only gotten to our topic yet. Oh yeah, right. There's. Uh, I might as well get it all out of the way now. But uh, uh, I'm going to steal a main conference pass to go see a postmortem on Friday morning by Brian Moriarty, Moriarty who's doing a postmortem oh. on Loom. So oh. that should be good. Oh, amazing! He's going to do a Loom postmortem. Yep. Oh, I'm I'm dying inside. I'm literally <laughs> dying inside right now. Oh. Oh, well, that's, I'll. That's I'll, brilliant. That sounds yeah. amazing. I'll I'll let you know all about it. Oh, please. Oh, I've please. never been yeah, to GDC. I, that's Day one of my Day. favorite games that I don't really get to talk about much. Yeah, it's a great game, and I'm really interested to see what he has to say like so many years on. Should be should be interesting. I've enjoyed and, the other postmortems. I saw some great ones on uh, arcade games by, oh, what's his name? Elog. Uh, uh, Eric Log, uh, I think it is, or something like oh. that. He did Marble Madness, and I saw one on Mist oh, yeah. from last year, I think. I, I love the GDC vault. That's as close as I've ever come to uh, to attending the event is just by watching the videos on the the internet. But yeah, I'm yeah, sad. Well, Anatoly, I'm sad that Anatoly isn't coming this year because he could have totally brought his "Ask Me About Loom" badge and then just like gone. Oh, out to, oh I know. Turned it out. It would have been amazing. But oh well. Damn. <laughs> so he um, did. Uh, anybody happen to catch? I think was it last year? Unfortunately, the GDC. I totally missed out on. Um, yeah, that was... the, there was a postmortem by was it ex LucasArts folks? Yeah, um, there was a big postmortem. Was it Ron Gilbert? I couldn't remember. I think it was yeah, it was Ron Gilbert and a couple of other people. Uh, I didn't go to it, oh, but I actually I heard it was yeah, I heard it was actually kind of a little disappointing because they only talked about oh. like the really early days. They you know people were oh, kind of expecting right. it was going to be like a whole retrospective thing, but they really only talked about like the early obscure titles. Oh well, that's where Ron Gilbert was most active, I think, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and he, and he, I think those were the days when he was working with like Chip Morningstar and stuff like that. On the, um, they didn't they have like some very very early games. I never played these, but there were um, there's an early LucasArts game that was based on a tessellation, three D tessellation, and they could kind of procedurally generate the landscape. It was called like three yeah, D yeah. laser. I can't remember what it was called. Or, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, rescue, yeah. Rescue from Fractal. Rescue from yeah, right, yeah. They had it. Uh, they had it on display. They had like this sort of uh, glass case with all the old LucasArts games in, on one of the top floors, and they had oh, wow. some computers running that stuff. And yeah, it was on there too. Oh, cool! Oh, I didn't know they did anything so technologically sophisticated. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. I know well, that's that's they that, but not those guys. <laughs> and then they made stupid adventure games for the rest of their career. Mm-hmm. What a choice. Who would do that, honestly? What a choice. That reminds me, I still have to play The Cave, which I bought and never loaded up. Oh, yeah, I have to play that, too. Mm. Oh, yeah, it's, it's. I mean, it's all right. It's it's worth playing. <laughs> That's about yeah. as much enthusiasm as I've heard anyone muster, which I think is why I haven't. <laughs> Ron Gilbert, we know you're listening. Um, yeah. Yeah, sorry. The you, thing you is... Feel free to, to like, neck jab Francisco at the next AGS party. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Well, yeah. You met him last year, didn't you, Francisco? Was that I you? did. Yeah, I've, I've actually met him the past two years, but I've been too petrified to say anything to him. 
Actually, well, the first time I met him, I wasn't. But last year, I met him at the at the Wild Rumpus party, and I was like, "Hey, uh, I make adventure games. We're having this really cool party in uh, or in like a day. You should come." And he was like, "Oh, okay, I will." And then he came, and I didn't talk to him the whole time because I was like, "Ah, it's Ron Gilbert." But we're having we're having two adventure game parties. (laughs) Yeah, right. All you have to do is use lips on man. That could be your icebreaker. There, you can have that. The listeners uh, interpret that as you will. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not putting my lips uh, on that. All right, I'm not. Yeah, we're having two adventure game parties this year, and he's RSVP to both of them. So, yeah. Well, we're having one dinner on Monday night, and then we're having like a party, the same thing we did on Wednesday. So he's RSVP to both of them. So hopefully, I'll be able to actually talk to him this time around. Oh, That's luck. amazing. Is there is there yeah. like a se- separate Himalaya party and like a separate party for other like people who like adventure games? Uh, no, it's kind of. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm sorry, Himalaya. I'm just teasing. I'm, I I really like Chris Warren. He's a nice guy. <laughs> uh, I I, I, <clears throat> I have some. Well, I'll we'll talk about this after we finish recording. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, no, uh, there's a it's. It's kind of it's kind of evolved into it's not just one company. It's not like Dave's throwing a little wide Jedi party anymore. It's sort of just like a general adventure game thing, and oh, all the okay. adventure game developers sort of pitch in and get all together. So we're yeah, we've we've sort of mutated into a, 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 a sort of blanket party. If that makes that's any amazing. sense. Yeah, I hope that's like a that's not a euphemism or. No, it's yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's a that's a great um, idea. Yeah, is uh, Mobius crew invited, or is that? Or do they typically stay away from? Um, no, the, they, the, the, no, the Phoenix guys came last year uh, to the oh, party. Oh, really? And I don't know what their presence at GDC is going to be this year, uh, but okay. I would assume because I know that they're doing some stuff at PAX East, and some brilliant scheduler put those on the same. They, there's overlap, oh, so I a bunch see. of people are leaving uh, GDC early to go to PAX East. Oh, what horrible wow. scheduling that is! Yeah, is Phoenix working on Magus Initiation right now? Is that their current big project? Uh, no, I think Himalaya is Magus Initiation. Oh, that's uh, Himalaya. Okay. Phoenix, yeah, Phoenix is doing. They just doing released some superhero one. Yeah, they just released a superhero one. Oh. They have another one that's like an astronaut game. That's a, a re an update of some old uh, Flash game from a few years ago. Hmm. Oh, and uh, I think, as far as I can tell, they're kind of. That's kind of all they have announced right now. Yeah, they haven't know. announced very much, although GDC isn't usually synonymous with announcements, but PAX, I suppose, is. Yeah, so... Yeah, that's I haven't true. heard anything yeah. from uh, Jane Jensen's studio either. Pink- Pinkerton, is it? Yeah, yeah, Pinkerton Road. They yeah, haven't I wonder what they're said, working on. I don't know. I don't know. Huh. Interesting. It looks, uh, it looks sounds like people are running out of Kickstarter money. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well... Mm. Nah. <laughs> nah. <laughs> If we start oh, yeah. talking about Kickstarter, this will be a whole other four hours. So, okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll hold we'll hold a separate episode for when you announce your Kickstarter. It sounds good. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah we'll see you in. Uh, what, uh, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so we should probably get to some listener stuff. I think we're already right. at what the two hour point. Okay. Yeah, I think um, so. Thereabouts. <laughs> listener stuff. Okay. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a podcast without uh, our dearest friend uh, Anatoly giving some sort of a technological correction <laughs> for us. Um, we. I'll uh, wait for these, you know. Sure. Is this? Wait a minute. 
is it did I did I just copy this from the previous week or is this an actual correction <laughs> computer? Don't fail me now. I, I I don't know. Okay, I don't think so. <laughs> well, stop me if I've stop me if you've heard this one. <laughs> what I've got okay. in my notes anyway, which may or may not be a repeat from last week's notes, which I do copy and paste for formatting reasons, is that uh, Anatolian uh, Anatoly told us the uh, difference between a free version and a commercial version of QBasic. Right. Oh no, this is new. This is new. Right. This is new. This is based on Troll's uh, call last week about his Great. tribulations with QBasic and his adventure game uh, engine and interpreter. Right. So Trolls had uh, posited and uh, assumed that around eighty kilobytes or so was like the memory ceiling of yes. QBasic, and uh, Anatoly uh, qualified that by saying that it is in fact the free version of QBasic that has. Uh, oh. Memory close to that, and the uh, commercial version has a full memory manager that allows you to use expanded oh, and extended memory. That's crazy! So you can actually address beyond 640k. I'm I'm actually shocked. And yeah, that's right. Or at least whatever <laughs> part of the conventional memory it frees up for you. So, yeah, that's that's, that's pretty big for a basic application anyway. I mean, I suppose if it was a commercial product that people actually used the basic programming language for some sort of productivity in general, but uh, that's a bit of a surprise to yeah, me. Yeah, well, such a simple I, I know that like, a lot of the, the old school database programs were written in basic back in, like, I think Peter Molyneux actually wrote, um, speaking of Peter Molyneux, I think we, didn't we talk about him last week or the week before? Um, <laughs> he, his, one of his first commercial projects was like this failed database system. Um, I can't remember what the name is, but it actually eventually morphed into... Um, I was reading this in a recent retro gamer. It actually morphed into from its basic version. At some point, became um, uh, what's it called? Uh, his first big game um, or Populous. Oh yeah, yeah. It was used to used to manage the kind of. Um, uh, I think they were using it as basically a manager for the map data, and then at some point too that failed. So anyway, that's kind of cool that um, Q Basic is actually useful for more than an eighty kilobyte engine. Yeah, who knew? If only we could go back in time and encourage little baby trolls to upgrade his his, uh, <laughs> his uh, SDK. What are you going to do? Just, I just like the what idea the of encouraging, <laughs> encouraging baby little trolls? baby trolls. <laughs> go under the bridge and lure them out with some goat meat. And... Anyway. The red herring. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. right. Exactly. There you go. Um, I've I've only ever used Basic once in my life, and it was because I used to have a subscription to Three Two One Contact Magazine. Oh, and I love that show. Yeah, it was great. And but the the magazine had like a little section in the back for aspiring programmers or something, and they had a uh, they had a, a whole like two pages full of code that you could put in Basic to create your own little text adventure. It was about like a haunted oh house God. or something, yeah. So I remember I sat there like it took me. I, I want to say it took me a couple of days. Like I would come home from school and just like sit there on my little 486 and be like, "Well, I guess I'll put in some code now." And uh, I coded it. <laughs> you and, were Mickey Mouse in 1994. Uh, <laughs> yes, actually, I was. Um, <laughs> I understand. Uh, <laughs> I don't. Actually, was it, yeah, I guess 1994 was about when my voice changed. Anyway, um, so... Good to know. Yeah. So this! Uh, so, um, so I finished coding it, and it was great, except for the fact that since I had coded it, I knew 
what all the responses were. So it was pretty pointless for me to play because I was just like, well, I know that if I, if I go here, this is going to happen. So I was like, hey, anybody want to play my game? And no one wanted to play my game. So. Sign my cast. Sign my cast. Yeah, yeah I, I can pretty, imagine. Pretty much. Oh. So I never programmed anything again, which would explain oh, why I suck at programming. No, right. it didn't. It didn't discourage me to the point of not programming. It was just, it was just really frustrating for so little payoff. Just like all programming. So there you go. <laughs> well, I think I think Touché. based on your episodes of Blue Cup Tools, I was just listening to the actually the episode where Ben. Well, actually, one of the I think it's one of the thirty or forty episodes where Ben criticizes <laughs> your inability to <laughs> comment or structure your code. And, oh, uh, I know the, the oh, curse, yeah. curse of the Camel Case. I was just having yeah. a, a little. It sounds like I, a Ben Jordan game, doesn't it? <laughs> I was just ben actually, yeah, you know, Ben Jordan Nine is is uh, Frankenstein on the moon. Maybe Ben Jordan oh, Ten right. can be uh, the curse of the camel case. <laughs> but uh, I was just actually just having a talk about you with Ben, Chris, and we ah. were talking about about how you are very efficient and neat in your code. And I said, yeah, I don't understand how anyone. I just I just kind of plop in whatever and let the winds take it where where it may go. Well, I yeah, can I'm tell you after too. after lo- looking at uh, after looking at code which the wind has thrown around, blown like garbage collecting <laughs> trash, trash management. It's um it's it's rather shocking. It's it's like I don't know how to describe it. It's like the best comparison, and I won't name any names. Uh, this is not your code, Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it might as well be. Is going <laughs> going into like a cat lady's house where she has forty cats. She spread. <laughs> newspaper all over the floor and then she says oh there's this great article i want you to read and then she starts kind of like leafing through all of the cat shit strewn newspapers on the floor trying to find that one little you know 100 word article that's like a ziggy cartoon and oh, God. uh <laughs> sifting through that has you know has been quite the experience hmm interesting <laughs> <laughs> especially since i know exactly what you're working on and so i know exactly who you're talking about no no this is completely got you you think uh-huh. you do but this is actually oh, oh okay <laughs> okay never mind never mind we'll move on um did you guys did you guys uh is that it for anatoly because i have a correction too if, if there's no if there's that's it for anatoly, anatoly okay oh, wow. the fishes. just one okay i, I yeah, feel unlocked yeah, but like I said, it's not what you said. So you guys had Ben, my co-host and friend, on a couple of episodes ago, and Ben opened up by saying that he had rubbed his balls on a copy of King's Quest Seven. And sh- oh yes, for me on forget. webcam. Yes, well, I couldn't yes. forget because I had to see it. But I want to clarify that uh, while he did do that for King's Quest Seven, that wasn't the first time he did it. The first time he did it was with a copy of oh. Runaway Two. Oh well, that's I think equally deserving. Yes. But I also want to clarify that I reciprocated by sending him a video of me rubbing my balls on Uncharted 2, so... Oh, that's, that's going to hit him in the field. some reciprocation. Yeah, yeah you know, we've got to look out for each other. Anyway, By the <laughs> that's way, all I, I wanted to say. I appreciate that you said that that's something that Ben did for King's Quest Seven and not something he did to King's Quest Seven. Oh, well, that's... It was that's, probably an improvement. That's actually... It needed some testosterone that game. That's actually um, the second time that I've seen a copy of King's Quest Seven defiled. The first time was uh, I, I actually was in at a, uh, a AGS meetup and someone we had a barbecue and someone threw it on the fire and burned a big box copy of King's Quest Seven <laughs> while we all chatted. We don't carry these around with them. <laughs> I think it was done as some sort of ritualistic thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> we started singing. Trying to exercise some demons from it? Yeah, possibly. We we were uh, the person who did it. Um, he uh, he really. What maybe I should t- save this story for later when we're actually talking about our topic. <laughs> sure. Um, or just as a little teaser, but the person who did it, uh, he really didn't like Roberta Williams, and he said that he wished that, let's pretend that this is the actual woman that we're burning and not the co- <laughs> box coffee. Well, ah, so this is an effigy. I, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I understand. Which, yeah, which leads to another story I'll tell later, but please continue. Don't let me derail your, your preamble. <laughs> our preamble I is that was our preamble. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's ambling all right. It's a perfect, uh, perfect segue into our main topic today. But before we, well, you know how much I love segues. That. Yeah, I know. I, I keep wondering why you buy and ride those things. They're awful. It's always been my dream to be a mall security guard. Paul Blart. <laughs> Don't oh, mention my, that. My wife and I. Oh, this is when my sister was getting married, and I had to rent a tuxedo, and not just any tuxedo, but like tuxedo, like serial number four thirty-two B. What? Like to like, I had to like rent a certain tuxedo, so I would look like all the other tuxedo guys, and I don't know how to put on a tuxedo, so I like forgot to put things on and stuff. Anyway, um, when we went to this little mall, uh, there was a, a mall cop that was like chatting up. Some lady, and she seemed very impressed by the segue. And so my <laughs> wife and I walk past them, and the mall cop's like, uh, "Hey, hey, lady!" And she's talking to my wife. She's like, "Hey, hey, lady, press this button." <laughs> and so my wife looks a little bit dubious. He's like, "Press the button." So she walks over to the segue. She presses the button. It goes beep, and we were all very happy. Oh man, it was I'm a magical so... moment. <laughs> I, was so... I started to feel something for the mall cop. I. I... I need a I was, I was hoping it was the eject button. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> yeah, I know. And the girl that he was talking to. <laughs> right, into into fountain, Julius. right into the fountain full of pennies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man, that's funny. Uh, speaking of small cops. So, oh, They're gosh. Very nice. I guess before we get to our... Well, two, we have two... Sorry to spoil several good segues here, and segues about segues. We have ever so much pre-show business to take care of. Ah, um, yes. The very first of which being our lovely and dear trolls, who is uh, such a such a, a warm, insidious, tenacious little bugger, who has uh, nestled his way into the brain of our podcast like a little tapeworm. He has... <laughs> We're so happy to have him. He's... Uh, Provided us with a lovely uh, recording that uh, he had uh, with uh, his friend David. <laughs> he uh, was inspired by our conversation about uh, multiplayer gaming and uh, had some fond memories of some game that he played with his uh, friend. And so, oh, I can't wait to hear. I know. <laughs> so, uh, before I play it, he has very kindly given us a short excerpt of this recording because apparently he got carried away and ended up recording something for about 36 minutes or thereabouts. And so I'm going to uh, link to this full one on the show notes, but uh, why don't I play his uh, excerpt for us all to bask in his tapewormy goodness. Take it away, Mr. Trolls. All right, I'm going to just play it and we can listen to it. Okay, cool. Oh, God, my stomach hurts from laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, sir. Hello, my dear. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) This one is 34 and a half minutes long. Ah! I'm not fucking playing that one. I downloaded the wrong one. Oh, no. Okay, 
Uh, uh. Hello, sir. Hello, my dear. <laughs> or, um, he- hello, Mr. Warman. David, sir. Uh, St- uh, Steel Empire was a. I should have looked this up when it was released. I'm thinking 92 or 93 or something. Uh, it was, Makes sense. Yeah, something around that. It was it was a a strategy slash arcade game by some dudes named Silicon Knights, um, which uh, when when you start out the game, it's basically a Risk clone, like the board game Risk, uh, where you just. I mean, the board is the same every time, and you start out with. Uh, um, you have to build a factory, and that factory builds robots, and then you just conquer territory after territory until you run into another player, and then you try to take the other player's territory, and then mayhem ensues. And this is when the game shifts to uh, top-down, two-player, hot-seat, arcade-style mayhem mode. We have your armies confronting each other, and then you control one unit in the army, the others are controlled by AI, and, and you try to what about the other player, basically? Yes, exactly. You control. I mean, you can go into battle with uh, a number of droids on either side, uh, and and these are the droids that you've been building in your factories all this time along. So, um, all of the all of the uh, droids besides one is controlled by the CPU. And when I say controlled, we'll probably get into this later. <laughs> it's kind of a stretch. Oh, come on. They walk into walls just fine. <laughs> yeah, they walk into walls and they blow themselves up <laughs> at the moment's notice. But anyway, you, you get to sit in the droid of your choice and you get to switch uh, droid uh, between, uh, you know, at, at, at any time. Um, so you basically walk into battle and try to defeat the other player. Oh. And do you remember the uh, uh, different types of droids you could build? These were fun. I remember the Mars, because we called it the Mars bar, but I don't remember the names of all the other ones. I remember, I remember the fuck you droids, which were the ones that sat on the edge of the map, just shooting the missiles I talked about before, into the map. Right, yeah. And they had, yeah. They had endless missiles that just shot at you, and if it, was, if, if it was a desert level, you were basically screwed. You mentioned this, there's different kind of levels, too. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 that's right. Two two important points. Uh, the uh, the um, the missile shooting droids you're talking about were the uh, uh, the crossbows. Uh, right, and they had they had four missile launchers. They were absolute shit if you tried to use them on a city terrain, uh, because yeah. they they would just you know they had the worst uh, you know short range laser of all time. But they had guided missiles, and this was so much fun. If you were in a crossbow and you, and you fired a missile, you would get to pilot the missile around the terrain. Well, I mean, we were, we were going to college at, at the Roskill University Center, it was called at the time, and uh, it's, not, it's not the center now, and, and we didn't want to be there. Well, we did. We liked learning and shit, but we wanted to have fun as well, so sometimes we took the asshole pill, which was not the red pill or the blue pill, but the asshole pill, and we went to your place, which is very close by, and we played games, and one time you just said, I have this game. That's, that's how, it's very undramatic, I know, but that's how I remember it. Oh, and then, and then, uh, and uh, this, this is going to be a blast from the past. For, for no reason whatsoever, and, and it had no bearing on the game whatsoever, at the bottom right of the screen, I guess they just kind of had an empty space they wanted to fill out, so it would, it would tell you the season. Yes, and the, the freaking season, and I don't remember any of the seasons except the season of... Vishnu! The season, tis the season of Vishnu. <laughs> For no reason whatsoever, it, for, for every, every turn, because it was, it was turn-based until you got into the skirmish bit, 
uh, it would just say, well, it's the season of blah, 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 blah. We played this game so much that we actually knew, once the game started, based on our random locations that we started on, who's going to win. Do you remember this? We, 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 knew, we knew each other's face styles and how, how the game worked so much. We all started hearing each other, why are you going to win in like five turns? Like, we, we, were, we were grand chess champions in this game. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, but I, w I was very impressed with how quickly you took to it because, like I said, I'm, I've, I've been playing it since I was a kid, and, and you you really mastered it r very very quickly. I don't know if that's a testament to just how easy and fun this game is to pick up and play, or uh... I, think, I think it is. I, I mean, I I, I, I played a lot of top down shooters when I was younger, like 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 asteroids, clones, and stuff like that, and oh, that right. helped. Yeah. Okay. But but the, but 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 the game is easy. It's yeah. an easy, fun, accessible game. Yeah, that, except that's... except for all the parts that make no sense. <laughs> right, but yeah, that 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 basically should have been the tagline. It's 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 a strategy slash arcade shooter that's easy and fun to pick up, and it's it's great at parties because you can play up to four people. Yeah. Right. So um so uh, uh recommendation if anyone uh, can ever uh, you know find the Steel Empire or Cyber Empires whatever it, it was called in your country. Um, and you can get DOSBox to run. It worked for my friend here on the other line uh, with his Mac uh, and his DOSBox, so it it will work for you. Um, please do it. Find find some find one nerdy friend who likes droids and making up shitty uh, stories to go along with it, and just you know sit down and have fun. And set set aside like two or three hours. I mean, th yeah, those campaigns take a while. So, and anything you want to add, like uh, like here at the end. No, just my 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 seal of approval as anonymous Reddit headset on Twitter, and um, and and say that it's an amazing game. It's it's good fun. It, it'll, it'll create friendships and not and not break them apart like some games will. And uh, yeah, enjoy your season of Vishnu. <laughs> yes, just the season of Vishnu, and we shall celebrate. <laughs> Okay. okay, hello, folks. Due to my technical ineptitude, I have accidentally <laughs> downloaded this 36-minute behemoth. And so, rather than correct myself in a timely fashion, I'm going to edit that in later. But I am ever so certain that Mr. Trolls and Mr. David, thank you ever so much for your insightful and very agreeable opinions. We couldn't agree more, and uh, more power to you. That's, I think it was a fantastic story, and I can't wait to laugh till when, when I hear it. That's right. <laughs> That's right. We do very much appreciate you calling in trolls. We love uh, your insight and your stories. So by all Someday means, we'll do provide at least the 36-minute cut. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, um, do we have any other news or agenda? Oh, we do have stuff to cover. We have to talk about what we've been playing. Oh yes, we do. Oh, oh this is the part where we get to where we get to zip our lips and let our our guests do the the squawking for a couple of minutes. Yes, please. So, Mr. Squawks. <laughs> what have you been playing? <laughs> this is going to be very short. Oh. Um, I started playing The Last of Us last night. I've been putting off oh. playing The Last of Us for about a year and a half. Because oh, that looks cool. Right. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. It's, um, it's, I heard a lot of people say that like the first hour is kind of boring and then it picks up, but I've been enjoying it. I mean, it's a welcome change from, the, from Naughty Dog's other stuff like Uncharted where you know Nathan Drake is like, a superhero who jumps and climbs like a monkey all over the place. You're actually playing like a 50-year-old man who does not jump. He climbs on things. 
But it's just like, you know, it's very, it feels very grounded in reality as far as like he's not like this super amazing, super action hero guy. He's just a guy. Um, but I mean, the oh, story. Yeah. Most, of the, most of the game you spend going like, hey, Ellie, grab that ladder for me. Yeah, pretty much. I'm, I'm really tired. I only just, I only actually just uh, got Ellie. I played for about two hours last night, and uh, I just oh, cool. met up with Ellie recently, so we have, haven't spent too much time with her. But yeah, it's pretty much just like, oh, I have to go over here now. Oh. It's very gruff and grumbly. <laughs> Troy Baker at his yeah, finest. And, but, and he uh, only kind of gets more cantankerous over time, too. Yeah, pretty much. But I have to say that the opening sequence where it kind of introduces the idea of the uh, of this infection taking over and stuff is, is done pretty well. I mean, it's pretty easy to make that sort of thing melodramatic and stupid, um, like yeah. in other games, <laughs> David Cage. Uh, but um, it's actually really well done. And it's, it's yeah, it, it actually kind of gave me a little lump in my throat. I'm not going to lie. Um, oh, oh yeah, I think and, I think the first that first forty five minutes was just horrifying. Um, yeah, and when like the uh, title screen came on, I was like, I literally said "fuck" out loud because I yeah, was like, if this is what I, we're in for. <laughs> yeah, I remember playing. It was over a year or two ago. Um, playing, seeing it for the first time with a couple of friends, mm. and uh, I remember everyone looked at each other. There's three or four of us just sitting together, and we just looked at each other and went, "Holy shit." Yeah, and it was just kind of like, uh, like Jesus. Is this what we're going to play on our Saturday morning? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, so, what's the premise of this game? Is it like a post-apocalyptic oh, thing or something? It. No, oh. I haven't. I don't have a, any recent consoles. Oh, okay. Well, oh, yeah. The, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, the premise is that uh, there's this um, plague. It's like a, a fungus, a spore, a ba- airborne plague that just starts and it basically the people who get infected are they turn into kind of like zombies i guess but the more infected they get the more uh plant-like they become so there's these uh things called clickers which are basically humans with giant fungus things coming out of their heads and they they sort of use uh sound echolocation to um to find their prey and, uh, yeah, basically they're like one hit will kill you type monsters. So, uh, the story is that you're this guy, Joel, and it's the, the first scene is like the night that the plague is really getting bad. And then it skips ahead 20 years when society has pretty much collapsed and you're walking through like overgrown Boston and, uh, you meet this girl, Ellie, and you have to, I guess, take her on a road trip or something. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, and Joel Joel changes. You know, he in the first the the first <clears> scene without being pretty spoiler free here. Um, he he just changes significantly as a character over that twenty years, and you don't really know what's happened in between. But you know, it's he's lived some hard days. Yeah, yeah, especially and, uh, made made apparent. Well, he has a beard in the opening scene, but he has really a beard in the in the after the twenty years, and it's all salt and pepper. So you know, he's like a gruff mountain man now. So. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that first scene um, has this fantastic moment in it. Um, it. It was a very small thing, but I thought it was the thing that thought made me think, okay, this is where they're pulling off something that's very film, film-like. film this fantastic scene. I don't know who the voice actress was for his daughter in the start of the game, mm. but she has this part where she wakes up in bed and she can hear some, I think she can hear some noise, and she just she's walking around the house and she just goes, Dad? Yes. And she just keeps kind of like calling it. It's like, you know, instead of... Yeah. Um, yeah, and it just has this fantastic moment where I'm like, wow, that 
voice actress just nailed that scene yeah. where you realize she's you know she's just ten years old she's very scared and she's just looking you know looking for her dad somewhere in the house and I was like wow way to go bravo yeah yeah absolutely um, so yeah I'm looking forward cool. to <clears throat> playing more of that um, aside from that I played King's Quest four in preparation for our podcast oh, nice. today I replayed King's Quest four it had been quite a while since I played it. And, um, yeah, that was an experience. Um, <laughs> was King's... it enjoyable? Yeah, yeah. I mean, King's Quest Four is my second favorite King's Quest game. And, um, I mean, right. I, I sped through it. Like, knowing what to do, it took me an hour and a half to get through. It was pretty quick. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate on that a little bit more uh, later on. But, yeah, it was, it was overall an enjoyable experience. I uh, I tweeted a few things about it and uh, it was it was good. So yeah, that's me. Yeah, cool. wait, I um I, I definitely yeah I'll have a lot of stories about King's Quest Four since that was my first Sierra game I've ever played. Um, oh sure. good. I enjoyed your story by the way about how you were horrified by the box art and you were like, what is this? <laughs> I don't want a princess riding a unicorn in my shelf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, glad well, to hear that there's some enjoyment to that the unicorn redeems itself in some way. Mm. <laughs> it's All right, who's unicorn in that game? Isn't there? I, I I only remember there's like one scene with a unicorn. I don't think it's in any of the game, is it? Yeah, yeah, no. The unicorn is a pretty a pretty big plot point. Is it the a uni- central plot? Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I mean, the unicorn is the first thing that you have to get for the for the evil fairy, and it's the source oh, of one of the most right. yeah, it's the source of one of the most hated puzzles in the game. Which is Isn't the, that where you have to put like a golden halter on it or something? Yeah, there's it's the bridle, but the the puzzle that everyone hates is the fact that it's really really easy to miss the bridle, and if you miss it, you're stuck. So ah uh, shit, yeah. yeah. King's Quest Four has some dead ends in it. Actually, there's, yeah. there's dead ends in that game that even last to the very end of the game. Yes, that's right. Oh, uh, I that, now that. I remember. But uh, yeah, I'm skipping ahead. Sorry, yes. um, Brian. Uh, or are you playing anything else, Francisco, other than um, nope. Last of Us? Nope, that's it. The Last of Us and King's Quest Four. That's all I played really that's this week. Good. Yeah. Oh, my my. I've never really played much of King's Quest Four. Just like the first twenty minutes or so, till I got fed up with the uh, the the text parser. But mm-hmm. I think what I know best about King's Quest Four comes from the end of Leisure Suit Larry Three. Oh yeah. Where oh. In, inexplicably, you like go through a magic door, which you draw in thin air with a magic marker, which is the stupidest puzzle ever. That I, <laughs> I, I think I bought the hint book just for that puzzle, and it was idiotic. And of course, I left it behind, so I had to replay the whole game. But then, like, oh, you go wow. through this magic door, and it takes you to Sierra Studios, where you see these like <laughs> hilarious, like practical, <laughs> physical mock-ups of how they're like filming the game with actual movie cameras. Oh, yeah. and there's a great scene of Rosella trying to climb up a, a big whale's tongue, and it's too yep. slippery. And Roberta Williams is like <laughs> yelling at her through a megaphone, <laughs> "Climb yep. better! What's the matter with you?" <laughs> that's that's. I'm- it's yeah. like my favorite ending of any game. It really is. It's a great like the end of Laser Suit Larry Three. Yeah, yeah, that's the end of three. Yeah, I've never is is that Love for Sale? I've never played that one. No, oh, no, Love for Sale Seven. Number three is Passionate Patty in Pursuit of the Pulsating oh. Pectorals. There you go. What a name! Yeah. I've never played it. Wow, that's <laughs> oh yeah, you should. It's I mean it's it's silly, <laughs> it's but one. it's a good it might one. Be yeah. My favorite one. I love yeah. that game. It's my second favorite one. My favorite one is Seven. Seven but, is really special. Yeah, but three is good. Yeah, it's it's this great sort of like weird pseudo blazing saddles esque ending where they just <laughs> break the fourth yeah, wall. They don't just backstage. Yeah, they don't mm-hmm. just break the fourth wall. They pretty much just obliterate the fourth wall. 
That's right. So yeah. Well, they kind of make up their own fourth wall too, because it's all untrue. It's like yeah, that's true. That's true. Which oh, that's great. So hello, I love you. Oh, hello. All right. So what I have been playing then is oh, so um, I've been playing some off the beaten path kind of stuff this week. Um, first one I'm going to mention is a series of games called Casebook. Um, and you can find oh, this, these books at casebookthegame.com. Are those the FMV yeah, ones? I've heard of these them. These are FMV hidden object games. Okay. And they're such cool games. They're very, very wow. interesting. Like, at their essence, they really are just hidden object games. But you have to find these hidden objects in a 3D space. And, like, the engineering behind the way that they do this is just, like, out of this world. I've never seen it done like this before. Wow. It's an FMV game where you can actually navigate <laughs> through a 3D space that is all, like, photorealistic, like, and done with photography. Like, pre-rendered 3D? Pre-rendered 3D. Well, so the way they do Ah. it, but it's, like, you can walk freely through it, so it's not, like, a seventh guest sort of a thing. So the way that they did this, because it was fascinating to me, is that they had this little kind of uh, Google Street View sort of a robot. It's, like, a waist-high robot, and on little tank treads, I think, or maybe they just place it on a tripod. And they take this 360-degree photograph like in this matrix of like one inch away nodes so it's sort of a node-based thing but you can the the nodes are so close together Ah, that you can actually walk smoothly like from one corner to another or from like diagonally or straight or in like a zigzag s pattern or something it's like a first person shooter kind of controls but uh, in this photorealistic environment it's very very interesting from an engineering standpoint and Hmm. extremely well done um, I, it, it reminds me of a uh, good our good friend. Ah, um, oh, shoot, what's his name? I I only got a chance to chat with him once or twice. He developed scratches and um, oh, uh, Augustine, uh, Augustine Cordes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Augustine Cordes. He's he's a Sense huge case. fan of of an engine that uh, does node based stuff, and he he just swears <laughs> by it. He thinks it's uh, amazing technology, and he he thinks it gives you just as much freedom as a free form uh, free form um, FPS 3D, except that. It allows you to give a little bit more control over to the um, developer in terms of uh, setting up the room, the, the exploration of the space. Yeah, this is true. I should show this to him. I'll link it to him because I think he'd be really interested in it. It's more of That's a very cool. It's more of a thing you'd want to do if you were in an actual environment that you've staged, like a like a yeah. movie set. Um, exactly. Whereas, I think Serena was do... very much set up in that style. Uh, so, well, yeah, in his, in his node-based style. Oh, yeah, well, I guess you yeah. could walk around in that one, couldn't you? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. The in the nodes, no. Yeah, the nodes were so close together. I really enjoyed yeah. that. Yeah, that's right. So this, they're even more close together. They're literally like an inch apart, wow. and you can navigate <laughs> manually. So you have to, like, look on shelves, and you take pictures of them with your camera, and then once you've taken a picture of what you're looking for with your camera, you don't always know what you're looking for. You're like, uh... uh a forensic uh, police ah, officer looking for evidence of crimes. And so right. you uh, take pictures of uh, what you think might be evidence, and then you go to your van and you have to analyze the evidence, which you can either do, you can, you do in some kind of a mini game. So you use like a a centrifuge to separate out liquids, or you do I don't I don't remember all the mini oh, games. Oh, cool! So it's kind of like a CSI long. style game. I haven't played those actually, um, but uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of very very similar in that respect in terms of them putting you in the role of doing a lot of the uh, in, investigation work. Okay. Mm. 
Very and this cool. one is all, it has FMV video where you're interviewing people, and I don't think the videos are particularly interactive, except that they shoot the video in this kind of a wall-eyed lens, and you can okay. look around slightly during the videos, which is something I haven't seen before oh, either. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's, it's really well done. Hmm. Really, really well done. I think it's 20 bucks for all three of the games, but there's a free one as well. Hmm. which is about a 300 megabyte downloader. So I'm definitely putting this in the show notes because it is just a technological marvel. Very cool game. I, I'm very impressed. If, 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 you know, if this was Blue Cup Tools, Francisco would be berating Ben for playing a, a, you know, a, a, <laughs> a hog? Hunt the, uh, hunt the object game. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have anything. My podcast, so go berate yourself. On. I don't have anything against hidden object games. I just would never play them. And I think anyone who does is a mom. That's all. <laughs> so, I, I love this. Well, this is the show where everyone gets to air out their dirty laundry. <laughs> I guess so. Hey, I just did my laundry today, so I don't have any dirty laundry. Good, you can do mine. Yeah. <laughs> you got lots of time. Yeah. All right. Next on my list, I've been playing with um, some emulators this week. Um, oh, cool. So, uh, I played a little bit of Animal Crossing. I love this game oh, so much. Oh, nice. I'm which, playing it with a dolphin uh... emulator, the Wii one. Oh, the Wii version. Okay, so that's uh, uh, Wild World. Which? I think it's called Wild World. Right. So the playing it on the Dolphin emulator means I can play it at full frame rate and at high resolution because the Wii was just standard resolution and just a, just when HD right. uh, TVs were becoming popular too. Not that I've ever owned one, but it looks like really, really glorious. That game in particular. Oh, fantastic! I think that Animal one. Crossing is hands down one of my favorite Nintendo games of all time. It's so much fun! It's just so serene and peaceful there's like no pace to it at all except playing it in a an emulator is very slightly crashy whenever you try to do something that's hardware dependent like making reference to an sd card or to some Uh. other physical thing you have to do with the with the the console itself it crashes my game and as you must be familiar um if you quit your game in animal crossing without saving properly you get uh, 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 lectured by mr resetty (laughs) <laughs> the mall cop. <laughs> the mall cop beeps his. his, his <laughs> he runs you. <laughs> oh, you're gonna make me laugh like, like lectures like five minutes long. <laughs> yes, they are. So get I've been lectured? getting some of those unfairly. You get lectured eh? on not saving your game properly. Yes, that's, that's okay. right. <laughs> if you reset the game without saving it, then this uh, mall kind of comes out of the ground and he just has screens and screens and screens of text oh of varying God. sizes depending on the volume of his voice as he's lecturing you you're supposed to save this game this game is different from other games you have to save it or you've done or you've done all this work for nothing <laughs> wow and they call I, him mr resetti <laughs> mr resetti yeah this is one of those nintendo games which i guess that's all nintendo games are Despite being oh written God, originally in Japanese, they're so well translated and so well localized. They're hilarious. Oh, yeah, and I always wondered. I always wondered if the jokes are actually even the same in the English version because they're like they play on like a lot of English, um, um, like word, there's like a lot of English wordplay specifically. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of them are like idiomatic or will have exactly. a different phrase that are that's specific to our hemisphere. So they do a wonderful job of that kind of stuff. I think that character in particular is. Is uh, Mr. Resetto in Japanese? Yeah, though. right. Or there's <laughs> a awful. shopkeeper in English. He's Tom Nook, but in oh, sure. uh, Japanese, he's a Tanuki, yeah. and he looks uh, like a Tanuki yeah. guy. Yeah, I've heard so, of Tom Nook. I've yeah. never played Animal Crossing. All I know about it is that Tom Nook apparently like is some sort of horrible person who steals all your stuff. Or pretty well. Oh, he's, or, he's like he's your shrewd landlord. 
Oh, I landlord, see. But okay. He keeps I'm... upgrading your house without you asking him to, and he's like, oh, by the way, you owe me hundreds of thousands of dollars. Go wow. work, work it off. Been... What an asshole. I know. And, uh, he's I'm... totally an asshole. I've also heard some of the soundtrack, um, which is like, or something like that. I, I don't know. Yeah, I listen to the soundtrack frequently. I have a rip of the GameCube okay. soundtrack. It's seven hours long. Wow. Oh, the soundtrack is just magnificently good. It's so, so minimalistic, where like an ordinary song might have like three variations in four bars or something, but this will have those three variations in like 16 bars. So it's very, very wow. slow pace and low key, hmm. and it's totally, utterly serene to listen to while you're at work or whatever. But uh, the other side of the soundtrack that's kind of famous, oh, and I have to check this out tonight because this is in reference to a guy who goes to the coffee shop in the game only every Saturday evening because this game is like a real time. Oh, that's right. Oh, wow. Synchronized with your clock. K.K. Slider. K.K. So, huh. Slider is his name. He's his dog. And he's uh, like a singer-songwriter, and he appears in the coffee shop, and he'll play you a couple of songs, and that's it oh. for a week. Yeah, and and all the songs have like these amazing. They, what they've done is it's actually a wavetable synth, but they've they've sampled his voice, and he sings like me oh me quay me oh me oh me quay. Disturbingly <laughs> <laughs> <Wow. laughs> close. Like the whole song, like, yes. and like that's that's or I guess you know that's me singing, but he sounds something like that. Didn't, yeah, it's just like didn't <laughs> you uh, syllabic voice. <laughs> didn't you tweet a picture earlier from Animal Crossing where one of your characters was like called Queef or something like that? Oh my <laughs> So naturally when you play this innocent, adorable little game and they prompt you to either yeah. name things a certain thing or, you know, to, to have the characters say a catchphrase or to call you by a nickname. Uh-huh. It's your yeah. it's your duty as a responsible adult to oh, have of them course. say all these horrible things. Yeah, of course. So my town, of course, is named Queefton. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's okay. You should hear all the, all the, I mean, there's all the character names for all the, all the characters in the game I'm currently working on, and then there's their real names, which mm-hmm. only I and, oh, and Ed know. So, yeah, there's, a, there's, there's quite a few horrible names in there. Oh, good. I look forward to the, the rated R director's commentary. <laughs> yeah. I, Maybe not even R. Leave those names in as comments in the code so someday Anatoly is going to decompile the game and find out what they really were. Yeah, yeah, I probably should do that, actually. Leave that in there for a little surprise for someone. <laughs> um, My wife and I have a, like an ongoing uh, inside joke where to this exact sort of a thing where we would play some Nintendo game and want to... It's like the the Thrill House kind of a thing where you want to give it to the name... You know, you want to give your character a name that is horrible for other people to say out loud. Mm. So you call yourself Bitch or something like that. Yeah. And so uh, <laughs> I wanted to naturally make my character in some game, Ass Licker. Uh-huh. That was one character too many. Oh. So all we could fit was Ass Liker. Ass Liker, of course. Which is just as good in the end. That's, so Ass Liker is just our one of our affectionate names for each other. That's the equivalent mm-hmm. of Millhouse getting uh, Bone Storm for Christmas and right, naming a character. Thrill Ho, yeah. That's right. <laughs> You're very nice. Um, That's right. The, uh, so, like, all, I can, all I've got in my head now is Animal Crossing has this wonderful thing. I've always wanted to do it for Android phones, make a little app that. Um, Whenever you tap on a, like a letter on the QWERTY keyboard, it goes like Q, U, E. Yeah, that's right. And it has like the cutest little voice. I like. I would love to know how they sampled all those things. And I always wish that I had like my phone was like one, two, three, four. <laughs> it's so totally adorable. Oh well, what amazed me and like this like blew my head off when I figured it out the first time I played it was, you know, most Nintendo games when they're 
showing gradually some text when someone's speaking, and it shows it like character by character, and it goes do 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 or whatever. Right. In this game, there's these tiny little like phenomes or whatever you would call them. These sorts of generic syllables that it will say based on like yeah. pairs of hmm. characters or something that it says, or maybe individual characters. I don't know. There's some logic behind it where it. It, like, totally mispronounces words if you were trying to read them out loud, but it almost pronounces them correctly. Hmm. Yeah, so it's just it kind of very much like human speech. It's very bizarre. Yeah. So it's kind of like procedurally generated gibberish. Sort yeah, of. Maybe exactly. procedurally generated might even be giving it one step of credit too far, <laughs> but I don't <laughs> know if it's always this... It, it, it's... It, I don't know. It's It's very, very off-putting and peculiar. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like they're speaking to you. Almost, almost. Huh. And sometimes you'll be like, no, I'm imagining it. And then it will. there will be like a string of four words that are just right, and it says it exactly, and then you think you're going out of your head. <laughs> so here's, here's some psychology for you. If you, had to go, if you could only pick one, and you had to p- pick between Pelly, the pelican who works at the post <laughs> office, or her sister, who would it be? <laughs> if I can only pick one, huh? Choose wisely. Choose wisely. Oh, I would. I would. Pick, oh, I, I wish. Is it Gladys? I don't remember her. The name. Gladys, I think. Yeah, Phyllis. Gladys is the bitter one. Something like that. Okay. Well, I would take the bitter one because she's spunky. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. They're, they're, oh, sorry. No, no, it's okay. No, no, no. About let, birds. Some things are better left unknown. Let's okay. Move on. Okay. Well, we'll leave it at that then. Let's, let's move well, on. Good then. idea. Let's move on. Okay, well, I will very quickly then. There, there's one more game. There's, there's two games we're talking about, but one of them, since I'm talking about emulation, I'm going to save for when we, at long last, have a discussion about arcade games. But ah. um, mm. uh, the one of the things you can do in Animal Crossing is kind of make this sort of town song, which is sort of like a this recurring s- musical song yes, that will uh, appear at various in various ways. You could compose your own one and and uh, hear it throughout the game. So I made that the uh, the first few notes for the uh, Katamari Damacy song, and so that's a game that I oh, nice. this week as well. The sequel, I actually, kinda, we love do, Katamari. Do, 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 that's it. Do, 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 have you guys played oh, I love these that. games? I have not. Oh, oh okay. it's so there one are, of my favorites. There are yeah. psychedelic games, and there are very psychedelic games. And, and then, then there's, there's Katamari, Katamari Damacy. Damacy. Okay. <laughs> I heard yeah. about this game first on the X-Play TV show. Oh, man! I used to love yeah. X-Play with Adam Sessler and Morgan Webb. Yeah, that's right. I saw I, I saw Adam Sessler at the last GDC. He walked by oh, me, and I fanboyed out, and I was like, <gasps> and then I—he's awesome. Yeah, he is. <laughs> I have great respect for him. He's yeah. a really intelligent guy. He really is. Yeah. I, I missed cool. it. He apparently just did a playthrough of Ultima Underworld or something, or of System Shock Two with the. Wow. Oh, I can't remember the name of the guys who are doing the Ultima Underworld Kickstarter mm. this week, which just oh, got yeah, successfully right. funded, by the way. Oh, no, fantastic! That's like some of the best news I've ever heard because I heard about it on Joe's podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. They just—they've uh, got, I think, five or six days to go, and they just got their six hundred thousand oh. dollars, oh, which doesn't sound like a lot of money for such an ambitious project. So I'm a little bit concerned, but maybe that's not the only yeah. funding they have. Well, uh, out of curiosity, does anybody know if they were the team from Looking Glass or were they the team from that did Arx Fatalis, which was the kind of unofficial sequel to? Um, well, it was actually Ultima Underworld Three, but they couldn't get the the um, licensing oh, the from license. EA. Right. Um, I know that Paul Nurath is the head. I think he was the head of both oh. of those studios, and he's still wow, the guy. Wow! So Paul Nurath is on this. Yes. Oh my and god! I think that a guy's couple like of a other coding than, god. There might be a couple of guys from both, uh, from both of the studios. As a matter of fact. Hmm. Wow! 
Wow, that's that's amazing. Those are both technologically right? impressive games. Arc yeah, they are. Underworld. Um, we should. Well, one of these days we have to have. I, I I don't know if you're a big. We've actually never really talked about Ultima before, but I'm a massive Ultima fan, and uh, Ultima Underworld is just like a technological marvel, and it's got you know procedurally. Well, not procedurally, but let's say um, some really good. Um, uh, uh, I use like uh, underlying music system for it, and uh, oh cool. yeah, it was the same as Wing Commander. Really, it wasn't that yeah, dynamic. exactly. But there were like phrases that it would put in a certain order, which That's is still right. pretty cool. And yeah, one of my like favorite that. composers, George Sanger, the Fat Man. Ah, uh, the Love Fat Man. Stuff. Oh, he did Ultima Underworld. Wow. Yes, he did. He did Why a lot did of I origin say games. Ultima Underworld. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> a game by any other name would smell as sweet. <laughs> Okay. Have I so told that's you my guys... story about Katamari Damacy. Oh, okay. <laughs> Have I told you guys my Wing Commander story, by the way? My silent Wing Commander story? Oh, yeah, that's right. No, you played it without I, a sound card. Yeah, well, I'll make, it, I'll make it real quick. Right? Make a very long story short. Uh, actually, it's not very long at all. Um, well, it ties into Ultima as well. I, I, the only exposure I've ever had to an Ultima game is Ultima 6, which I have a CD that comes with ah. Ultima 6 and Wing Commander on it. Um, I and... know that exact disc you're talking about. Yep, have it on my shelf right now. But uh, I was never able to... The Ultima 6 would always crash after I assigned... After I visited the fortune teller. Like, I could watch the whole right. intro great. And then you'd visit the fortune teller and she'd mix up your potions to, like, get your stats or whatever. And then the game would always crash. So I never got oh, to play man. Ultima 7. Ooh. Or 6, sorry. But uh, Wing Commander would run. But for some reason, it would never install correctly. So I always had to play it directly off the CD. So for oh weird. So for years, I would play Wing Commander in complete silence because it didn't have any sound effects or music or anything. And so, like oh, no. for the very first time, like a year and a half ago, I managed to copy it onto my hard drive and run it through DOSBox. And I heard the music for the first time, and I was just completely blown away by it. And you were just talking oh, about it. And I was I was drumming the. the, 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 the. <laughs> That's right, you were. That's what I remember about That's your story. That's just what I do. <laughs> Every time I hear it. It's very inspiring, isn't it? Oh, man, yeah. I love the sound of the, cockpit, the little cockpit window lowering down while the, the your little EP is getting ready to fly. Oh, yeah, man. yeah. Oh, it's such a... It's like... It was It was great. It was like rediscovering an old friend, but he could talk <laughs> or something. It's a terrible analogy. Anyway. It's a good one. <laughs> this podcast is not like uh, anti-deaf or anti- No, 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 no. Uh... We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not. That was very ableist. I'm sorry. Uh, it was like rediscovering an old friend and finding out that he had uh, a, 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 an old record that you hadn't heard before. There you go. Oh, there we go. There we go. Save myself Fair Thank one. you. Now, now right. I no longer, yeah, get cut off a stitcher. Yes. Anyway, what are you playing, right. Chris? We love you, Stitcher. Uh, you, you know are. what's funny? I didn't really get to play anything this week. I got, I got overwhelmed with work, and um, the only thing I really got to play was um, I, one of my my day job is restoring ancient old beat up arcade games from from the dead from the dead. And um, that sounds I've like the playing... best day job ever. <laughs> sounds like a frustrating that. day I mean, job with wonderful stuff. Keeping, keeping in mind that most of my time is spent soldering wires together and uh and you know it's actually I have worked in an unheated garage so it's about minus 15 while I'm doing this. Oh, um I take that yeah, back. That's, that's not so exciting. But um <laughs> I've been playing some Galaga and and people forget like today games are made to be unbelievably accessible. Um, you know, there's you, you've got checkpoints every 30 seconds. You've got 50 extra lives, or actually unlimited extra lives. Um, you know, we, we design adventure games to, to have absolutely no dead ends, anything like that. 
Galaga is the most punishing thing I've ever played. You know, make make Pac-Man look like a joke. I mean, I literally lasted, I think, for, for four seconds on the first map. And then, you know, so I'd re- work on the game a bit, play a little bit more, work on the game a bit, play a bit more. And um, and I was just absolutely abused by this game. I've, I've gotten two <laughs> screens in, and I literally can't get any further than that. So it's it's absolutely brutal, punishing, nasty game. I'll bet That's you anything. An excellent game, though. I'll bet you the game only lasts like four screens. Ah, uh, you know what? I think it's like ninety-nine screens. Holy shit! Okay, I take. <laughs> is that the one where? Is that the one where your ship gets captured and when you shoot it down, That's then you right. get two side by side? Ah, uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. I think it has warps and stuff too. They have that. In, uh... Go ahead. They have that in what? Sorry. No, no. You were gonna say. Oh, I, I just love that mechanic. When what what happens for anybody who hasn't played Galaga is it's basically like Space Invaders, except you've got these little um, these little um, fly like ships that dive bomb at you and shoot shoot at you. And um, there's this one. Oh, yeah, they're all insects, ship. aren't they? Mm. Yeah, they're all insects exactly. And they, they always look like kind of horse flies for some reason. Um, and one of them is purple, and I love this. It's like the coolest mechanic. He'll dive bomb at you, and if you get too close, he has this little uh, hypnotizing ray, like hypnotoad ray that comes out, and it like like bathes you in this purple beam, and it captures your ship, which uses up one of your lives, right? And then can we call him the hypnotoad? No. Oh. Okay, apparently we can't. Sorry. You, you just made some Australian by the name of Ben very happy with that joke. Um, uh, you're welcome, some Australian. <laughs> uh, the ship no toad takes your ship. Oh, God, it's got to be it. Takes your ship to the top of the screen, and it just abducts you. And But the cool thing is, if you shoot it and you actually kill it, um, your ship flies back down, and then it joins your ship like like uh, wing to wing, and you get like double like double ships to shoot for the rest of the game, and it's just like the coolest thing. I was like, whoever thought of that was fucking brilliant. So yeah, it is um, cool. Double the firepower, double the risk. Very cool yeah. mechanic. And it was just something I'd never saw in any other game before or since. Cool. I was going to yeah. say that there's a uh, there's this great hot dog place in the East Village called Criff Dogs, and uh, they have in addition to amazing hot dogs, um, they also have a couple of tables uh, that are uh, is it literally called Criff Dogs? Criff Dogs, yeah, C R I F Dogs. Criff Dogs. Oh, oh, yeah. Criff Dogs. I... <laughs> no, 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 it's not. It's not. No, it's not Chris Dogs. I'm sorry. But I, was, I almost had like a heart palpitation because that was my idea. No, oh. <laughs> 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 you can open up next door to them. But uh, that's all good. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they have a couple of tables that are tabletop arcade machines, and one of them has oh, Pac-Man fantastic. and Galaga on it. Oh, that's great! So yeah, that's I've exactly seen, what I'm restoring right now. Yeah, I've seen Galaga uh, while I'm eating my hot dogs, and I thought I would never play this game. Oh, you gotta play that game. That's <laughs> yeah, a really I should. Good game. I'll save up my quarters it's... so next time I go, I'll uh, I'll play it and get. Oh, frustrated. I see. So it's not it's not on free play. You have to pay twenty five cents a shot. Yep. Oh wow! Welcome to New York. <laughs> hey, you're lucky you have arcades. I don't know what the heck is wrong with this horrible city of Toronto I live in, but there are no arcades. Really? There used to be phenomenal, numerous arcades, and one by one they disappeared. And I don't know what what on earth happened to all the machines if they're owned by private collectors or what. But there are just I, no public venues. I think that's exactly what happened, unfortunately. You know what it's they have so here in New York? That's that's genius. Is they have a place called Barcade. Oh, yes, I know, and, and I'm so there's, jealous. There's three I of them. Jealousy. 
Oh, yeah. three of them. Yeah, there's one in Chelsea. Oh. There's one in uh, there's two in Manhattan. One in Brooklyn. Uh, yeah, and it's great. I got to play Marble Madness while drinking beer last time. Oh my God! With the the one with the trackball. The one that pinches your palms. Yes, that's the oh. one. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yep. Love that game so much. Love it too. But anyway, oh, I don't know why I remember yeah, yeah, now. Like half an hour later, Edlog <laughs> is the name of the guy who designed that. Oh, okay. Oh, that's All that's right. that's fantastic. I, that that's a that game was also like a, a programming masterpiece too. Yeah, it really is. Oh yeah, I you got to see the yeah, postmortem on that. It's a good it. one. Yeah, I have it on my NES, and it's it's tough. It's oh, I played tough. that on I played that on DOS and CGA. Oh, nice. Oh, you're <laughs> kidding me! <laughs> wow, I didn't even know there's a DOS port. It's a great DOS port. Very very good. Uh, but wow. nothing beats the arcade and the the, no. the the palm pincher. Yeah, that palm pincher <laughs> was something. Those were little battle scars when you were a kid. That's right. <laughs> Amazing. All right, so that was all the only thing I played, um, and I feel very sad about that. Oh no, that's not true. That's not true. Um, very late at night, my girlfriend plays more and more of um, of um, Broken Sword, and oh, I, cool. I, mm. I, which, I don't know. Which one? It's like. Uh, the very first Shadow of the Templars. Oh, okay, um, good, yeah. A good one. <laughs> yeah, well, it's weird because, like, I, I, I consistently fall asleep. Like, like she'll be playing it, and I just kind of, like, the conversation trees are, like, 45 minutes long. It's like... Yeah, they are. <laughs> every, every conversation is like, what do you make of this? Holds up a coffee cup. Hey, yeah, what do you think of this? It's like, holds show, up a stethoscope. Yeah, you can show every single inventory item. It's great. May I shake yeah. you by the hand? Yeah. <laughs> no! Like, no one wants to shake your hand in all of Paris. That's right. What do you think of this soiled hanky? <laughs> oh, get it away from me! That's like half the game, is yeah. showing people your soiled hanky. And one guy's it. like, yeah. oh, yes, please do. Yes, may I sniff it, please? <laughs> like, some, some of George's, like, responses are actually pretty funny. He's like, what did he say? He's like, well, he's like, it's, she's like, oh, no, it's this nurse. And she's like, it sounds like it's going to be very wet. And he's like, you know, and, and by the way, that's a French nurse. Um, okay. It's actually well, a better imitation than in the game. Um, <laughs> yeah, the voice actor is the Yeah, and like, I, we, we're like making our way through it very slowly. We cheated exactly once so far. Um, there was this really stupid puzzle where you have to get past the, um, you have to get past the, uh, Guy in the in the bed to go see the guy being held in. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, so you try to walk past him. And he's like, "Hey, you haven't taken my uh, blood pressure yet." And then um, so you walk back, click the uh, blood pressure thing on him, and George just kind of shrugs. I'm like, "Well, <laughs> I'm trying to take your blood pressure." And then eventually we figured out that you know you have to actually go talk to the young doctor in the hallway. So yeah. Um, and he does it for you, but it was it was kind of yeah, it was a little frustrating. I have to admit, it's not my favorite adventure game so far. Um, I don't know why, and I, I I do understand that people just love this game to death, but it's very unique. It's very funny too, but um, for some reason it feels like really long winded, and I just maybe mm-hmm. I'm maybe I'm just somebody who has a very short attention span, but I have a really hard time getting through like the you know the 15 minute long conversations uh, for some reason. I'm not sure why. Have you ever played The Longest Journey? I, I love have. that game. Oh. <laughs> I know that is an apt name, right? I was, yeah. Oh man, it's funny. I was going to say, game, don't, don't ever first, if you haven't. <laughs> oh, I love that the game. The first so third much. of that game was it made it into one of the, my favorite adventure games of all time. The first third yeah. of it, when you're in um, Sicily, is it Sicily or no? Venice. No, it's, Venice. Yeah, Venice. And um, and I was just like, oh man, I love it. I love the whole romantic atmosphere. I even love the. Uh, I, I even love the. Um, 
the uh, bartender that I think you hate, Francisco. I can't remember the guy who's like, Oh, Charlie. Hey, hey girl. Yeah, Charlie. Hey, girl. Doing, girl. What's up, girl? Girl. I, know, I, I like call him dance, girl. girl. <laughs> I, I can't actually wait loved it. Yeah. He's very affectionate, anyway. <laughs> yeah, he's. And um, and then I was just like, oh, and you know, then you get to the part where you, she gets to the portal, and I'm like, oh, well, that was a great game. I can't wait to play the sequel. And um, I'm like, you know, that was worth my 15 hours. And all of a sudden, I realize I'm like, oh wait, I have another. I have to play more. And I've played that game like, twice. And uh, there's I, there's one section that always makes me fall asleep. Always. Is it the, the part violations. where she's talking to the guy who's like in the temple with the tapestries? No, no, Brian got it. It's oh, the elations. It's the bird people who you have to listen to like five oh, of them tell God. stories. And, and then there's like a pop quiz. Yeah. And I, I fall asleep. What was the name of the guy who had the blue hat? Yeah, it's like what was. <laughs> and then there's one that's like this really stupid old man, and he's like the octowoe and the thing, and I'm just like, oh, excuse, what, what, what were you saying? And, I I can't even imagine. Like, did you guys ever watch a show called Astro Boy as kids? Oh, no, I've heard of it, but it never, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh no. Yeah. I just got that friggin' theme song out of my head, too. Speaking of friggin' theme songs, okay, tell your Astro Boy thing, and then I'm going to kill our, our guest. Okay, <laughs> well, please, Astro Boy oh, no! one of the best theme songs ever. But um, <laughs> there's this part in at the end of every episode where um, it has, like, this the professor, and he's like, oh, it's you, Astro. The computer's writing for your report. And then, um, and then he makes you, like, re- Astro Boy, like, recounts the whole episode to the computer, and you're supposed to, like, pay attention. You're supposed to have watched the episode carefully so you know which part Astro Boy missed or lied about or something or misrepresented. And I never once in, like, 15 years ever once got that. So, like, I had no chance. I never finished The Longest Journey for that exact reason. I'm like, I, I hold down the period key when I'm getting through conversations. That's how I skip dialogue. Oh, I I didn't have the heart. I love that game. I love every line of dialogue in that game pretty much. Despite it's pretty, the it's pretty fantastic. I have to admit, it's, it, it takes so long for me to play game. it though. I do that game in like forty sittings over like nine months, but I adore that game. <laughs> it's pretty fantastic. So, what was your story about theme songs? Oh, I think I, think I, I will just abbreviate Absolutely. it by saying that I'm going to take Ben Chandler's sweet chin and stick it in right up your pantry. Hang on, you mean Ben Chandler's sweets tin. Oh no! Ben Chandler's sweets tin. Ben Chandler's sweets tin was missing OB, so he went Son of a on a quest. <laughs> Alright, I'll stop. <laughs> oh gosh. My wife has been tormenting me with that all week as well. We laughed so hard when we heard that. This is in reference to Ben Chandler Paranormal Investigator, which I discussed and linked to on our show notes last week, which is a great, adorable little game. Is but... that discussed as in D-I-S-C-I-U-S-S-E-D or D-I-S-G-U-S-T? First one, then the other. Okay. <laughs> you know, it makes me sad. I love, how, I love how that game I thought was like an ongoing, like, in-joke on Blue Cup Tools podcast no, for years until I found out it was actually a real game last week. Yep. You know, uh, prophecy is fulfilled. what it makes exists. me sad is that when I recorded that, I didn't have my uh, jaw harp, so I could have... <laughs> oh. Just so you know, Anatoly, you oh, have awesome. three drinks right there. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I should I should have my Canadian maple whiskey that I got in uh, Montreal. Oh, that's Ooh. disgusting. If you ever want to get something, really gro- oh, okay. You know what? I'm going way off topic. Let's let's, <laughs> let's go to our main topic. Holy cow! Yeah, right. We'll talk oh, about yeah, that afterwards. 
Okay, sure. <laughs> anyway, let's go on to our main topic. Okay, let's do that. All right, our main topic today, which originally was going to be specifically the uh, the lovely and wonderful uh, Ms. Roberta Williams, has ballooned outward, much like her dialogue yeah. trees, to uh, Sierra Adventure Games in general. And uh, to kick off our conversation, I uh, want to read a little something. Are you guys familiar with Old Man Murray? Yes. Oh, yeah. Classic. Which is, oh, who is it? Eric Wolpaw and someone else, too, isn't it? Or is it just him? I'm, uh, I actually didn't even know he had a real name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Eric Wolpa. He now works for Valve. He wrote yeah. the dialogue oh, in the Portal games and a bunch of other stuff, too. I think he did some oh, of the wow. Half-Life Holy stuff cow. as well. And he, did, he wrote uh, Psychonauts as well. Oh. He is an amazingly wow. talented, hilarious guy. Okay. Very cool. So he has some choice words for Madam Williams. <laughs> and so this is a kind of a good talking point, too, I think, because uh, I want to hear your opinions on this. So I will start off with this uh, quote by Roberta Williams that uh, Mr. Mr. Murray uh, goes on to uh, react to. So here's the quote. Back when I got started, which sounds like ancient history, back then the demographics of people who were into computer games was totally different, in my opinion, than they are today. Back then, computers were more expensive, which made them more exclusive to people who were maybe at a certain income level or education level. So the people that played computer games 15 years ago were that type of person. They probably didn't watch television as much, and the instant gratification era hadn't quite grown the way it has lately. I think in the last five or six years, the demographics have really changed. Now, this is my opinion, because computers are less expensive, so more people can afford them. More average people now feel they should own one. So, this is her somewhat contentious controversy. I am so glad that you opened with this quote, because I have a lot to say about it. I... Okay, good. <laughs> well, the first thing I said when I originally read this bit from the old man Murray was, Fuck you, Roberta! And that's, so... exactly his, that's exactly his reply as well. Yeah. And... Should I read his reply, or do you want to say your, your bit first? Well, my reply was basically that, oh, Roberta Williams is, is an elitist racist bitch. Pretty well. So uh, I, I, uh, we, I came up with this sort of in joke that Roberta, now that she's retired and sailing around the world or whatever with Ken, she has her little like Mexican illegal immigrants uh, serving people who she beats, and she sits out in the lawn all day, and she's like, "Bring me my mai tai," and they're like, "Oh, Miss Williams, please no hit me, please no, I bring you mai tai," and she's like, "Shut up, Paco! I made King's Quest." And he's like, no, please, Miss Williams, no, please, I need to eat, my family hungry. Dude, you didn't make this right! <laughs> I'm, like, picturing Roberta Williams, like, summoning her servants with this, these, like, castanets, yeah. and every time she claps them, yeah. all of her slaves kind of, they, like, flinch yes. in horror. And they know that it's time to... Clappity clap. Yeah. Oh, no, it's Miss Williams, ay, ay, ay. So... <laughs> <laughs> wow! Yeah, oh, we're off to a lovely. great start here, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Um, so no, I mean, I'm sure Roberta Williams is a lovely, if not somewhat misguided lady. Um, but we're, we're not really here to talk about her as a person. We're here to talk about her games and the games made by the company she founded, right? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's our story, and we're sticking to it. Although, as long as we're talking about her personally, uh, let me. Let me let me bring up that story I, I alluded to earlier. Um, the guy who uh, who burned his copy of King's Quest Seven, 
Um, yeah. he, he went by, well, he, well, he's still around, but he was an AGSer, uh, who went by the name of Helm. And, um, I, the AGS community does, uh, the one room, one week competition every now and then. And I made a game way back when for the one room, one week competition called Rosella Wilson meets Helm, which was essentially an AGI, uh, torture simulator in which... <laughs> Rosella Wilson is walking down the street and she gets kidnapped by uh, by Helm. This white van pulls up and when she does the little do-do-do-do-do-do from King's Quest 1 and 2 when the enemies show up, comes out, uh, or plays. And you control Helm and basically you get to... She's tied to a chair and you, you have all these implement instruments of torture which you can use to, uh, to do terrible things to her. If you so wish... Um, <laughs> Including you can turn on the you can turn on the radio and a nice little uh, a PC speaker bleep bloop uh, rendition of stuck in the middle with you comes on. Um, <laughs> you can also dance. Um, so yeah, it's it was uh, it was fun uh, and it's called Rosella Wilson meets Helm because you know I I wanted to avoid any legal trouble but the parser understands if you type in Roberta Williams so just say uh huh <laughs> just say. <laughs> I am. I am. I. I. I don't know what to say. It's. It's, so you, it's not available. AI game with a torture simulator. My first and only, actually. <laughs> well, it. It was. It was made in AGS, so it, it was. It used. Oh, a, okay. a, yeah, it used a plugin. It wasn't actually like made in AGI or Wait, anything. AGS actually has a, like a built-in um, parser. Yeah, AGS has a built-in text parser, but uh, someone made oh, a, yeah, right, a, right, a right, plugin, uh, an AGI plugin. So you could, it was ah. more, I don't know. I, I don't know anything about coding. You know me. <laughs> so what? So we can tap into the AGI engine and render it in that? Is that what you mean? Or no, I don't, I don't think so. It's running, it runs in AGS, but the, it's some sort of plugin that does some, I don't huh. know. That's no, I'm cool. sure if you go on the forums that. and search for AGI plugin, it'll, it'll explain it. And better minds that coding than me will, will understand it. But yeah, that you can probably search... Uh, yeah, I want to say it was probably in about 2008 or 2009. Wow. Maybe you're earlier like, than that, actually. Veteran, you're like an original veteran at the AGS eh. uh, forums. I've made a few games. <laughs> <laughs> you oh, actually, but anyway, thing, I think I, you've got more game credits than Roberta Williams does. <laughs> well, then, Maybe she's making a podcast about you yeah, right you now, can, Francisco. You can have her on your next episode bashing me. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's yes. like, uh, yeah, let's let's bring this up. Is you can you can settle this once and for all. Is sure. a Golden Wake actually just basically a modern rehash of Gold Rush? <laughs> no, no, it's not because there's no random deaths in it. Actually, I didn't. That's, I, tr that's true. Hey, wait. I, what about what about the uh, Cookie Lady? Oh, what about the cookie lady? Oh, wait, no, yeah, you can die. Yeah, well, but that's not random. Oh, I guess. I thought it was a surprise, but everybody saw it coming. Oh. <laughs> but, um... The reference was a surprise anyway. Yeah, I've I've never actually played Gold Rush to completion before. I have a box. Oh, neither have I. That, that game you but, can die yeah. in every single screen, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, pretty much. But uh, through and through. Yeah. But Roberta really Williams... Cool here's the thing about Roberta Williams' games... <laughs> I mean, we all know her, her catalog is, you know, the King's Quest games, and she also did the Colonel's Bequest, and she also did uh, Phantasmagoria, which I can say a lot about as well. 
Um, have you guys played yeah. all of them, more or less? I've uh, played. I played. I've only played one or two. Phantasmagoria. Oh, I, I, I own that one. Okay. Which I played most of those, which, but not most of the King's Quest. Which King's Quests have you played? Five, six, seven. Okay. And Chris? Ooh, good choice. I've played King's Quests one through one through eight. Um, oh wow! But yeah, um, but none of the kind of the FMV-ish kind of stuff. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I haven't played King's Quest eight, so you can tell us about that one. <laughs> but um, it's actually yeah. yeah, super interesting. But yeah, at, at some point. The thing about the thing about Roberta Williams is, um, I think she gets a lot of credit because she. I mean, there's no denying she was a pioneer at the time. Let's let's get the good out of the way first before we focus on the bad. Out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, come on. You we have to meet expectations here. Uh. Well, she did a lot of impressive stuff. I think she didn't exactly have a. She didn't have like a cookie cutter to use of any sort. No, she exactly. had to establish a lot of these uh a lot of these uh tropes on her own for better or for worse. Yeah. If nothing if for no other reason than to understand what to avoid later. And she definitely was a trailblazer as far as firsts went. I mean I, I know I've heard other developers from Sierra talk about how they some of them not to name names, but some of them were kind of resentful at the fact that they wanted to try new things and all the money and resources were poured into the next King's Quest game because that was kinda of like their flagship series and they wanted to do all right. I mean like King's Quest 4 was the first uh, SCI game uh, when they right. when they transferred over from the AGI engine and of course King's Quest 5 well yes um, 4 was the first yeah, one not only the, yeah uh, 4 was not only the first uh, SCI one but it was the first one to like use a sound card um, exactly. so they kept pushing that and uh, 5 of course was the, the VGA and the point and click interface and I think Seven was the first one where they switched to that new high res cartoony style. Um, oh yeah, with fewer uh, with fewer um, yeah the interaction options. Yeah, the one click interface. Yeah, all purpose. Stuff. Yeah, all purpose icon, whatever you call that. Yeah, so cursor. Yeah, so the King's Quest games were always kind of like the experimental ones, but I mean everyone loved the King's Quest games, I guess. Um, but yeah, like everyone's always like, "Oh, master storyteller, Roberta Williams." But yeah. I, I, fuck. she told other people stories. <laughs> she told stories about how great she was. Yeah, um, <laughs> stories in Roberta Williams' games aren't really all that masterful, or really stories at all. So I, I mean, I think she gets a little bit of uh, extra credit where credit goes. Um, I'm kind of rambling now. Well, hey, Prince Prince sees some chick in the mirror. Yes, and uh, travels for four years in a boat because well, uh, he has to marry her. And a, That's a good story. Amusingly enough, that that one that one wasn't even really written by her. I mean, that was mostly written by Jane Jensen. Oh, that's right, wasn't it? Yeah, oh. I mean, I'm sure Roberta came up with the basic story, but Jane Jensen wrote all the dialogue and stuff. Yeah, they're all the kind of like German fairy tale and like yeah. uh, old uh, old Homer esque epic kind of. Pretty much. It's just kind of like plug in your favorite fairy tale here and oh look. I mean King's Quest Four you have you meet Cupid, Pan, uh a unicorn, I guess is sort of fairy tale esque. Um yeah, and then of course there's all the unfair dead ends and Yeah, the seven dwarves. Who what the hell? You you go in and you clean their house and then they give you soup and then you're like, Oh, here's some diamonds. It's like the most shallow and stupid <laughs> you could ever have. With anyone, 
Not to now, what year was King's Quest Four though? This was like uh, King- was this eighties? It was nineteen eighty eight. Okay, so that's still pretty early in terms of adventure games. Not that Sierra hadn't made a ton of them by then. Yeah, I mean, and they still were building on like Infocom's legacy, I suppose you would say. Yeah, they still they had already done. I mean, they'd already established their major series at that point because mm-hmm. eighty eight. If they moved on to SCI. But um, uh, speaking yeah. like around 1988, 89. Uh, actually, I guess it maybe would be 1990 because I want to give credit where it's due. Did you guys, either of you, play the Colonel's Bequest? Yes, that was yeah. Only a little bit. Another Roberto Williams game. Yeah, and you know actually, that game. I'm is wrong. Pretty it's far out of its game. time <laughs> in some ways. Um, it's you know it's it's told it's a story told in real time. The story itself is not really there. You know, it, you kind of. You kind of discover it's supposed to be an Agatha Christie kind of thing, you know. It's a whodunit kind of experience, but um, you're supposed to discover it as you kind of witness things along happening in the house, and you're trying to figure out what the relationships are between each of the characters. But I actually kind of thought it was a little ahead of its time. Um, it yeah, seemed I mean, to pull off the real-time storytelling thing, and that's you know, if you if you go into if you think about modern games, nobody's really doing that right now. No, modern times, they want to make sure that everybody sees everything without exactly. exception. Yeah. Yeah, and they, yeah so they this sort of did like that Jordan Mechner kind of a trick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it did that Jordan Mechner kind of uh, Last Express sort of a mm. theme. I'm sure he took inspiration from Colonel's Oh, Bequest. absolutely, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not the execution. I think that's the thing with the Colonel's Bequest. Um, I was thinking back because when I was a kid, me and my sister thought that was just like the coolest box on earth. It's like this black box. Yeah. And yeah, and it's just like, oh, man, yeah. it's like super. The house. We had yeah, the and, box. Uh, did, did, yeah, did you guys ever see, like, if you, have you ever owned, like, a physical copy of it? Yeah, I have one. I got one on eBay recently, but um, I actually, I just told the story on, on the episode of the Blue Cup Tools podcast that we put out today. Um, in my in uh, elementary school, we had uh, Apple IIEs, and, but we also had, like, a Commodore or something. And we had two yep. games, which were Midwinter and The Colonel's Bequest. And oh, the nice. box always, like, really intrigued me because it was this really cool box with, like, the screenshots and stuff. And we could never get it to run. So I didn't play The Colonel's oh. Bequest until, uh, I want to say about, like, the maybe mid, mid-2000s mid or so. But, yeah, yeah I, I mean... around when I first played it, too. Yeah. I mean, it's essentially just, like, a remake of Mystery House, which I haven't played, but, I mean, it's essentially yeah. the same idea, just, like, you know, the people. Um, and, yeah, like you say, the story isn't really that deep. It's basically just, oh, the guy has money, and they want to kill... Someone's killing all the people because they want the inheritance. Um, it's the Agatha Christie thing. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but yeah, it definitely was... Uh, Again, like pioneering the idea, and I said before, it was it's not a game because it it very pretentiously says a play by Roberta Williams on the manual, which I always oh, thought I was yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. But didn't actually, Chris Roberts do the same thing about Wing Commander? Didn't he call it a movie or something, a film? Yeah, interactive movie. Yeah, they yeah. didn't. I think Origin actually copyrighted that term at some point. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I've seen someone play the Colonel's Bequest where they don't um, they don't see any of the extra stuff. They just kind of go to the rooms that trigger the clock to move ahead, so they miss out right. on like the whole thing. And they narrate it, and it's just kind of like, yeah. So I was walking through this creepy mansion, and uh, yeah, someone suddenly disappeared, and I don't know what was going on. It's it's pretty funny. 
<laughs> oh, like they're reading the walkthrough, but not understanding. No, they're they're what? narrating as Laura Bow. Like if Laura oh, Bow is, is just wandering around this house where all these murders are happening, but she's completely oblivious to it all because she's only going to the things that trigger the clock, which, as it turns out, aren't actually the murders. It's just being in the right rooms at the right time. Oh, okay. yeah. This actually that reminds me of some kind of my experience too. Yeah. This reminds me of some criticism that I had actually about. Uh, of all things, Blackwell Epiphany, which I was watching my wife play oh. today. And this is where, sorry to spoil one puzzle, you have your <laughs> ghost Joey, who my wife has affectionately nicknamed Blowy because of his primary means of interacting with the environment. Has your wife played so, the Crackwell games? No, neither have I. Oh. We'll, we'll do that as soon as she's done this one. Okay, because the ghost in the Crackwell games is called Blowy. <laughs> Oh, I didn't realize. Okay, that's great. We got to check those out. Yeah. So there's one puzzle where he has, where Joey is like gone through a, a door because he's like, uh, he's like uh, incorporeal, and um, uh, comes up to a computer and doesn't really know what a computer is or how it works. But the way that you have to solve this puzzle is to turn off the screensaver, which he does by blowing yeah. on the mouse, and right. that's the kind of thing where the player has more knowledge than the character does. Sure. Which is something oh, that I don't true. like very true. too much. Yeah. So that's kind of what you're describing, Francisco, I guess, about this narration. Yeah, I guess that's, yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty much the game happens whether or not you're there for it or not. Which, I mean, it's it adds to the real-time element, but as a player, it's kind of, I guess, frustrating if it feels like you're just kind of sitting along for the ride. That's true, but I guess... Thinking of this in context of like 1988, this yeah. is an era. You know, today how many da- how many games come out in a day? Probably as many as came out in all of 1988. Yeah, this is an era where you would buy a game and it would last you. It would last you a month or two or three or so. Yeah. So it was. It's a cheap way, which we've you know come to learn later on, or even might have uh, might have said at the time. But it's a cheap way of kind of extending it and making you learn from inevitable failure. Well, yeah, well, that's, and that's, that's, that's actually something we should you know that that's worth mentioning specifically about Sierra. And I think this is not so much Roberta. I think this is more of uh, Ken Williams's influence. Um, mm. Is they right from the very beginning with Mystery House and I think it's Ulysses and the Golden Fleece. They had like a bunch of very very early uh, titles. They were specifically made to stretch gameplay out and stump the players so that the game was unfinishable unless you actually called them to get hints. Um, yep. And that really... Roberta wanted... herself picked up the yeah. phone back then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, oh, man. Um, if only I had a time we... machine. <laughs> you bitch! <Yeah. laughs> it's like Minority Report. <laughs> you have to report her pre-crime. <laughs> no, I just, I just... I would just yell obscenities at her. Oh, okay, that's productive, too. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, yeah, Chris, you were it, it was yeah, kind sorry. Of, it's encoded, encoded into Sierra's DNA to kind of extract money out of um, out of players. And, you know, for good or for bad, that's kind of uh, a lot of the games were built around that. I remember, um, this is old old history, but King's Quest One, the original version for the um, IBM PC Junior, which I have somewhere, um, is... It's pretty amazing that they have this fucking puzzle. It's um, it's the Rumpelstiltskin puzzle. Oh, I don't know if either of you ever played King's Quest One. That puzzle. It is like the <laughs> worst I've heard puzzle of this. I've seen in yeah. I only played the podcast. I only played the EGA remake, and they fixed it so okay. that you had you only had to type in Rumpelstiltskin backwards. But yeah. Yeah, and that's still was... annoying, right? Like, yeah. like, there's no reason that you should even put it in backwards. But yeah. um. 
the original puzzles actually, I think in programming we call it a one-way hash, which is um, to spell his name correctly, you have to submit, uh, substitute A for Z, B for Y, C for X, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's no hint cipher. in the entire game that would ever suggest that you should do, like, letter substitution or something to get his name right. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so his name is, like, that's a step too far, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it, and it was a Rain Man thing. And totally intentionally done to um, kind of, I don't know, just to to stump players and kind of create an unwinnable situation. Oh yeah. Have you have you guys? I'm sure you uh, at least you, Chris, must have played the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Infocom game. Oh, yeah, yeah, very briefly. Oh, okay, so briefly, yeah, briefly is about the best that I could hope to get from this because this this game has this infamous puzzle. Have you guys read the books by chance? Yeah, or? the Babblefish puzzle. The Babblefish puzzle. Mm-hmm. So in yeah. the book, in the book, there's this thing called the Babblefish. It's this little fish that you put it inside your ear, and suddenly you can understand every language in the whole universe that ever was and ever will be, which is an awesome thing. So, uh, the the protagonist is it Arthur? What's his name? Arthur Dent. Yep. Arthur Dent just kind of turns his head sideways, he drops his fish in his ear, and it's gross, and it's done. Mm-hmm. In the game, yep. it's like a 30-step puzzle or something <laughs> where you try to drop the fish in your ear, and it falls on the ground, and it slips across the hallway, and so you exactly. have to like go get it, and something else happens. It's like this whole it's a completely like, linear chain of events. It's like this Three Stooges kind of <laughs> comedy of errors of trying to obtain this fish and finally put it in your ear, and you finally have to use it like a funnel or something like that. I don't That's know. Right. It's like yeah. the most cruel... It is a very cruel puzzle. Did it's you play... Also, like, he has another game called um, Starship Titanic. <laughs> you guys ever seen Starship Titanic? Yeah. I, I know what? I never it. got to play it. Yeah. Oh, so I've, I've, I own this one. I own a novelization, too, which I lost, and I have to find it, because it's the only way I'll ever get anywhere in the story. <laughs> that game is just equally cruel, where you just don't know what the hell kind of horrible logic he used to come up with these ideas. But there's, you have to think like this crazy man in order to... Well, Douglas Adams was a better author than adventure game designer, I guess. I think so. <laughs> He's a better author than most, though. I love his yeah. stuff so much. R.I.P. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, what you were saying, Chris, is... Uh, it. Actually, I, I tweeted something about this, too, the other day when I finished King's Quest IV. I finished it, like I said, in, in an hour and a half. And wow. if you think about, you know, a retail game back then was going for like fifty nine ninety five in the 80s, which, right. is, which is a lot of money back then. Um, and, you know, you would expect these games to last you a long time because you would just get stuck. I mean, imagine paying fifty nine ninety nine for people complain about the order eighteen eighty six lasting like five hours and being a triple A sixty dollar title. Imagine you know getting an hour and a half of gameplay out of something that costs you that much. So yeah, I've I've seen yeah. it in interviews where they they pretty much owned up to the fact that yeah they were they were banking on the fact that people were going to call their hint line and when that got mm-hmm. too when they grew as a company and that got too clogged up, they started with the hint books. And they figured that you yeah. had to write their. They had to design the puzzles to be so impossible that you were going to need to to um, to buy the hint book to add more to their revenue. Um, yeah, at some so, point, yeah. I know it became kind of common history at some point that they said they were making more money off their hint books than they were in sales. Of the yeah, game. that's absolutely right, and I think that's despicable. <laughs> and oh sure, well, oh plus their hint books like, were these like they couldn't photocopy the hint books. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, right. they were yeah, like they in this blue red, red, or red or something. The yeah. red cellophane yeah, yeah. thing. That, that was so much fun, though, wearing those stupid little red cellophane <laughs> goggles. 
So that was a that was actually kind of, well. I mean, I don't want to defend it because it's a terrible practice. But yeah, it's, an, it's a creative solution to profiting from piracy. It's basically That's a pretty innovative thing to do. I once at the expense of <laughs> of good design. I once called Roberta Williams a whore, and um, I'm pretty much standing <laughs> by that. I'm, yeah, I'm standing by that now because that's a pretty that's a pretty hoary thing to do is to sell someone your game and then be like, hey, hey, you want to finish the game? Hey, I got this hint book for you. <laughs> Come over here in this alley, I'll give it to you. I have to admit, I, have to admit, I was one of Roberta's like earliest, uh, yeah, earliest uh, Johns. Um, uh, I went in and bought. <laughs> oh, whoa. <laughs> John Williams. Interesting story. Oh, no. oh. oh. <laughs> I want to roll today. Sorry. <laughs> I went and bought um, King's Quest IV's hint book because we could not finish the game without. It. And to be fair, King's Quest IV does not. It 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 isn't full of uh, oblique puzzles that you'd never get. I mean, some of the puzzles are pretty straightforward, but yeah, um, there were a couple of parts in that game where my sister and I played King's Quest IV for approximately a year, I think, before wow. we finally found out that there was a hint book. Yeah, it was a long time. We just kept hammering away at it. Yeah. And then at some point, I think, at the end of King's Quest IV, um, you kind of confront, is it Lolot? I can't remember yeah. the name of the evil witch. Yeah. Yeah, um, Yeah, she, um, you can kill her, but there's there's like two different endings to the game, and unless you found... I, I want to say it might be the the, the this fruit. I'm, I'm not sure of this like special fruit that you have to get. Uh, so it's like a fruit of life or everlasting life or something like that. But if yep, you don't get it, you're right. basically yeah, you're screwed in the end, and you have to backtrack hours and hours and hours. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, that's the thing with King's Quest IV story. Just going to master storyteller Roberta Williams. The whole point is of the game is like it picks up right where King's Quest Three left off, and like you know Alexander, Alexander has just come home, and like he's just met his sister and his family for the first time, and they throw the adventurer's cap at them, and Graham has a heart attack, and he's dying, and Rosella is out in the throne room crying, and uh, this fairy comes through the magic mirror and says, "Hey, I have this magical fruit in my land that can save your father, but." I need your help first. And she's like, she wisely says, well, what if I can't help you? What if I can't, you know, find this fruit or, or save you or whatever? Right. And she's like, don't worry about it. I'll tell you all the details when you get here. But when you get here, I won't be able to send you back. She's like, okay, sure. So she shows up and then she's like, by the way, there's this really evil fairy that took my talisman. And if you don't get it back in 24 hours, I'm dead and you'll never be able to go home again. And, uh, oh, that's, yeah, there's this fruit. pretty good storytelling. That, that's like the old bait and switch. I like it. It is. No, it's a total bait and switch. And it's kind of like mm -hmm. the, it's kind of like buying a Roberta Williams game because uh, it's like, here's your game. Now, here, give me the hit book. Give me more money for the hit book. So she's like, yeah, by the way. <laughs> By the way, remember that magical fruit that I told you about that can save your dad? Yeah, it's in this really horrible swamp on the other side of the mountains. It's practically inaccessible, so good luck getting that. Bye! And then she leaves you. And then she's like, oh, and, and here, you're, that pretty dress you're wearing? Poof, now you're a peasant girl. Sorry! And then she leaves and you by alone. the way, there's gonna, you're, you're going to die 52 times yeah. on a staircase going up to an old piano. Oh, man, yes. I have to say, I, I was proud of the fact that I finished King's Quest Four and I only died twice. And one, wow. both, both those times were in the fucking cave with the troll trying to get the fruit. But yeah, oh, if that, you, that puzzle's awful. 
It's not even a puzzle. It's just you. It's yeah. that and the shark. You you can't outrun them. If right. they show up, you're basically screwed. So you have to like spam your saves to make sure that you don't you don't screw oh, up. This, and... uh, is this similar to the Minotaur maze in uh, number six? Kind of, uh, but not no, really. The Minotaur, the Minotaur maze is actually a puzzle puzzle maybe. Yeah. It's like it's Oh, I thought there was a I thought you had to like just wish that you didn't or hope that you didn't get caught or something. No, the Minotaur the it? Minotaur never actually shows up until you find his secret lair and go in and and find him. It's like if the yeah, Minotaur kind of maze in King's yeah. Quest 6 featured yeah, it it's like if the Minotaur randomly appeared in any room at any time in the Minotaur maze and killed you every single time and there was no way to outrun him. That's basically what what this is. Cuz there's Sweet. You you get you have to swim like two screens over to the west to get to the magical fairy island, and That's a right. shark can randomly appear and come and eat you, and you can't outswim it. So once it shows up, you're screwed. And same with this cave; it's only like three screens or something. Uh, but if the troll shows up, you're dead. So yeah. Yep. And that's basically um, you know an yeah. old holdover from King's Quest one and two. Which both had like random encounters for no reason whatsoever. I think there was like, but you could, yeah, you could at least escape those. That's true. Yeah, exactly. These ones you're basically screwed as soon as you see the shark coming out of the water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's an ogre that shows up too in a couple of screens, but he can be outrun most of the, most of the time. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, so, out of curiosity, yeah. <laughs> um, have you guys played King's Quest three? Because I think. Yes. That's like a very underappreciated nope. King's Quest to me. I have not. I mean, as far as the storytelling goes, I have to say that's probably where she was the bravest as far as mm-hmm. the whole plot twist at the end. But, but yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. It's, it, it's probably my third favorite. What annoys me about that game is how dependent it is on the timer. But there yes, is a certain is. satisfaction. I, that. I hate timer puzzles. Yeah, there's there is a certain satisfaction that you get from magic spelling the wizard into a cat. Yeah, that's probably exactly. the highlight of that game. <laughs> yeah, and it's got you know there's yeah I was just gonna say and plus um, I remember it was it um, oh shoot what's his name Graham um, Gruau I can't remember <laughs> it's like oh uh, like Gwydion yeah. He, uh, he's, I think it's him that's a huge fan of King's Quest 3. And, um, oh, wait, wait, wait. No, meant... hold on. Uh, wait, who are we talking about? I thought you were talking about the character in King's Quest 3. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, um, um, Graham Lackey, I think is... is oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Out of Montreal. Yeah, sure, yeah, Graham. Who turned yeah, me on to um... the Jardin Tiki. <laughs> Thanks, Graham. Oh, you're kidding. You're always... <laughs> oh, that's really funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, was, he was mentioning, or, or him or one of his friends was mentioning... That uh, King's Quest Three has this great moment where you've spent hours and hours and hours exploring. Um, what's this, what's the name of the wizard? Um, Mananan. Yeah, Mananan Castle or his or his house, I guess. And you, at some point, manage to escape and get out. And it like takes you know that that might be several weeks or days worth of gameplay just right there. And then at some point you realize you can go to town, which is like the craziest like thing of like the whole world kind of like just explodes open at that point because it's you know yeah. before that it's very a uh, very contained experience. And I thought you know that was a good design choice. You know you kind of force the player to feel like they're kind of trapped in this house for you know months and weeks and days, and then all of a sudden let them out into town, and it makes you know that town thing very you know a very um, a very special experience. Was this yeah. the one where you start off as his like as his manservant yeah. in his yeah. house? Oh, maybe I have played this one. It's yeah, sort you of play, sounds familiar you play with what you're Alexander saying. at the start, I think. Yeah. Okay. 
but yeah, but he's called Gwydion at at that point, and yeah. then he learns his true name at the end. And yeah, spoilers. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, it's basically to me. To me, it's like a re. It's basically a retelling of. Um, uh, it, it reminds me a little bit of um, Alexander. Oh shoot! What's the name of that series of books um, about the pig keeper? Um, Taryn the pig keeper. Uh, oh which, yeah, uh, the the Black Cauldron. Black Cauldron, yeah. It reminds which, me a lot of the Black Cauldron in some ways. Yeah, which Sierra actually made a Black Cauldron game, which I have not played. Oh, is that an Al Lowe one? Yeah. Uh, Al Lowe and I think Scott Murphy. Yeah. You can believe that. Actually, I think I played I, about a screen of it, and it was like, yeah, it was weird because it didn't have a text parser. It was just like a one-button interact sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, weird. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was a kids' game or something. It was I, yeah, simplified. I don't know. It was very, it was very simplified from what I remember. But yeah, well, but I never the, saw the the movie or read the books, so I didn't really. Yeah, but anyway, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, yeah, the book series, the book is very good. I've never seen the movie, but I know in those days, Sierra was trying to court uh, Disney into um, mm. you know taking taking over the entire Disney Disney licensing, and I think I think in some ways, I don't know, maybe Roberta Williams gets a lot of flack for. She's kind of the figurehead of a lot of corporate decisions that, you know, the whole, you know, Sierra Board of Directors was making, which is, you know, let's grow and get big as fast as possible and make as money as much money as fast as possible. Um, mm. You know, I've been reading, I, I finished reading that Doug Carlston book on Broderbund, kind of the, or like the early history of the adventure game scene in the 1980s, which is an amazing book. And... Um, he talks a lot about the kind of financial and corporate decisions that Ken... He, he makes it very clear that Ken Williams is the one that's making the decisions, and I think that filtered down a lot into, you know, the way that um, developers like Roberta Williams would come to make decisions about uh, gameplay, etc. I think in many ways that whole place was driven by corporate interests, which, you know, for good or for bad. It, it definitely grew and exploded into a kind of genre... a genre creating uh kind of place but yeah that's what i read as well in uh steve levy's book uh hackers heroes of the computer revolution where he talks about the early days of ken and roberta williams that he was just an overbearing guy who absolutely despised the concept of piracy or like free software and uh was just a you know he was a a shrewd businessman but an opportunist and a, a capitalist absolutely yeah so, and that's very clear, you know, in like the opening screens of, I would say, like 50% of the Sierra games where they tell you how awful piracy is or they go to some lengths to make you look something up in a manual or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. Is, why was it that, like, all of the Quest for Glory screens had, like, this one, like, wall of text, which is, like, unauthorized distribution yeah. of this game, blah, blah, blah? It was, yeah. Like, always Quest for Glory. Yeah, yeah. It's like a videotape. They used to <laughs> do that at the beginning of movies, FBI, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I know. Well, I guess I, I'd even prefer that, though, to how they did it in the King's Quest games. Which would be, you would get to some copy protection thing, and half the time you wouldn't even know that you were being challenged for copy protection and had to look something up in the book. I'm thinking again of those cliffs in uh, King's Quest Six, oh, yeah. another staircase that I fell oh, off of a million right. times. <laughs> it made some like it made some some reference to looking something up in the manual, and yeah, it was it was very obtuse, as I recall. It's been a while since I've gotten as far as that. I always say that I'm surprised yeah. that the, our generation that grew up playing adventure games didn't become like sociopath kleptomaniacs but I also I'm surprised that <laughs> it, we didn't turn out to have like an unreasonable phobia of stairs because there's a lot of falling off of stairs and cliffs in Sierra games 
Uh-huh. Oh, Especially Roberto Williams it. games. It's so funny I because actually, it's like... I... It's like, depending on your play style, like, you know, you put yourself in the shoes of the character and it's like you're supposed to be this resourceful, you know, smart, intelligent person who's just solved the quest, but whoops, I fell off a cliff. Durr. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I can't swim. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> falling off a cliff should not be allowed, or falling off of things should not be allowed in adventure games. I'm very glad that they did away with that when they uh, when they went to the... Well, no, they didn't do away with it when they went to the point-and-click things, because you can still fall off of things in King's Quest Five and Six. That's oh, right. Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. totally. And, the um, first screen of King's Quest Six, you can, you can drown. Yeah, that's right. That's so stupid. Really? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, you start off washed washed up on a beach, and if you take one step walk too out far, into the water. yeah, and then the undertow <laughs> rips you out into the sea, and you drown. There's always an undertow. Yeah, always. Well, it's funny, it's... you know. Like, I, I guess for me, I just kind of see this historical thing. Um, I got a chance, I think it was a year or two ago, to play Mystery House and um, document my way playing through it, and it's like you know, very obtuse adventure puzzle kind of thing, but. The funny thing about Mystery House is you can die in every single room in that game, and usually the deaths are pretty funny. Like, they're oh, just, wow. like, totally over the top. And <laughs> I think Sierra just developed that, I don't know what to call it, um, that kind of architectural pattern really early on in the in, in how the Sadism. game games. <laughs> they I love killing think... people, those Sierra guys. They do, yeah. Yeah. I've, well, you did know, you ever... Give her <laughs> credit for one thing. She's got a pretty fucking, like dark sense of humor about killing characters every single time if possible. Yeah, that's right. That's true. She's a creative torturer. Did you guys, uh, in the Colonel's Bequest, did you ever try taking a shower? No. No. Oh, man. What happened? <laughs> oh, it's great. You have to look it up on YouTube. It's it's a total ripoff of Psycho. She takes off her clothes and she goes into the shower and then this silhouette comes and stabs her and it goes, reek, reek, reek. And it's like, oh, Alfred says, don't take showers in strange houses or something like that. But that's Good like this, that's basically the second screen because you start off in the bedroom and you can go out into the shower or into the bathroom and take Why a shower. That never occurred to me. Yeah, I don't know. You get to see some Maybe nice I... pixelated uh, sixteen color butt, which is always a good thing. <laughs> that's why that does I wasn't trick for fourteen me. years yeah. old anymore. Oh, uh, <laughs> what do you mean anymore? I, uh, I still yeah, I, for, I never stopped being. Yeah, I still years look for a pixelated butt. Any, hell, I put pixelated butt in my games if I can do it. Sure. Oh yeah, you do, don't you? <laughs> I do. I'm wondering whether the shower thing might have like just been programmed by Jim Walls, and you have to like oh. walk around the shower before you get in. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's did what I you tell? Missed. Did I tell this story on on my podcast about how I think Jim Walls got his job at Sierra? Oh, no. let's hear it. I don't think so. Oh, it, I'm convinced <laughs> that the only way I'm convinced that the only reason that Jim Walls got his job at Sierra was because Ken Williams was speeding down the freeway in his newly purchased Corvette <laughs> from the King's Quest. Uh, As he did a line of coke off of the uh, mirror. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and Jim Walls, traffic cop Jim Walls in Corsgold, pulled him over and was like, you know how fast you were going there, sir? And he's like, don't you know who I am? I'm Ken Williams. And, and he was like, I'm going to have to take you in, sir. And he was like, listen, how much to make this go away? And he was like, I'm not, I, I don't know. I don't take bribes, sir. I'm a police officer. He's like, I'll give you a job. You can make a game about police officers. And, be, and he was like, oh, okay. And that's how he got his what job if, at Sierra. What oh, if, that's brilliant. What if Jim Wall 
what if Ken Williams was the guy who actually shot Jim Walls and he couldn't be on the job anymore? Oh. <laughs> the twist. That's the M. Night Shyamalan. I'm going to end this right <laughs> now, Roberta. See, that's, that right there, that's master storytelling. Eat your heart out, Roberta Williams. Oh, man. We need to make Ken's quest. 30 years later. Yeah. I just like like Ken's quest. Uh, Ken's quest. Yeah, the first we talk about the nefarious beginnings of his the first puzzle video game empire. The first puzzle is you have to grow. You just type in "grow mustache" and that's how it still starts. <laughs> Step two is sell hint book. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I always liked I always liked at the beginning of Police Quest Three how Jim Walls is standing there with his foot on the police car and he's like, "Hey, uh-huh. some of this stuff actually happened to me." And you know, the whole game is about like you know Sonny Bonds taking down this this ridiculous satanic cartel cult right, uh, like right. drug cartel cult thing and it's like you know he's like star homicide detective i'm like oh come on you're totally gary suing this and like the one thing that probably actually did happen to him which actually did i read in an interview was the crazy like guy in his underwear at the lake that oh man the guy that i shot to death in the lake yes yeah uh-huh. well he didn't he didn't shoot him to death allegedly he just <laughs> That guy was so much fun to yeah, shoot. Yeah, he threw his uh, his match in the water. <laughs> oh man, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good story though. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, oh man, but, that's another yeah, game I had to buy a friggin' hint book for because that stupid drawing a, a pentagram on the map. I never would have gotten that in a million years. Wow, really? Oh, what that was a yet? ridiculous puzzle. I guess I just Video. I was lucky that I that I played most of these games. Um, when I had AOL and I could access the universal hint system because I never I never needed uh-huh. a hint book. Actually, I only I only ever called the Sierra hint, hint line once, and it was for Pepper's Adventures in Time. And, oh, uh, really? I was, really? That was one of the questions I had for the podcast was if anybody actually had ever called the Sierra hint line. Yeah, no, I hadn't. Yeah, no, I did, and I spent. I got my my parents' permission to call and spend seventy five cents a minute to to solve a stupid puzzle in Pepper's Adventures in Time of all games. So what, what, yeah, what happened, did actually, what, what happened you, when you, you called? First. Was it like, well, let me look it up now. It's taking my time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember, but that would have been genius if it had been. No, it was automated, but it was like, I think it was oh, just like, really? if you are trying to, uh, if you're trying to solve a puzzle in chapter one, press one. For chapter two, press two. <laughs> It, it was basically just an automated universal hint system. So, oh, was it in that excruciatingly slow narrator voice from Gabriel Knight? <laughs> it should have been. <laughs> it would have made a mint. Welcome to the Sierra Hint Line. <laughs> Gabriel presses number one. Uh, oh, I'm gonna die. Up for you. I'm sorry. You brought me on your podcast, and all I've done is don't do stupid voices the whole time that's okay <laughs> that was the only reason we did <laughs> oh okay fair enough oh man hey well, i never called this era hint line but i did um i think i got like a free trial for CompuServe. this is i was gonna bring that up too yeah certainly date me so oh, unbeknownst to me no, do you? Of course. I, I, the only thing I ever used it for was to access this Sierra. I don't even know what you called it. They had this like little corner of CompuServe. That's yeah. right. A hot word or something like that. So, unbeknownst to me, you know, you had to give your payment information to get the free trial, of course. So I'm like, yep. okay, it's a 10 hour free trial. I'll do it for nine hours and I'll stop. But I spent those nine hours apparently using all these paid services, like looking up hints on the Sierra thing. Mm-hmm. 
So <laughs> that's awesome. That's, that's what I did there. The only other thing I did on CompuServe was I was, I think, 15 years old or something. I went to the 18 plus chat Ooh. and I talked to some guy about uh, Nirvana. Oh. oh, cool. Wow. Yeah. That was I, um, and I, okay, yeah. so my, my story about CompuServe is pretty similar, actually. I um, This is not Roberta Williams specific, but it was actually Space Quest 3. Thank you so much, Scott Murphy. Um, Space Quest 3, I think, was, I think I mentioned one of my first loves. Uh, I don't think I talked about it on our episode, but. Um, the big thing with Space Quest 3 was that I, um, I, it came with a free, uh, free yeah, 10 hours of CompuServe, or it might have been Prodigy even at that point. It was kind mm-hmm. of uh, thrown in the box. Was that the same of, service? Um, mm. It's possible. I, I think CompuServe might have taken over Prodigy. I can't remember. Um, okay. But I went in specifically to get hints for Space Quest 3, and I got them, and then I found out that there was like this I think it was like this room called Teen Chat or something. And I remember, <laughs> this is going to sound horrible. Um, I went into Teen Chat and everyone like would type like A slash S slash L, ASL, ASL, ASL. Mm-hmm. And it would take me like, you know, two hours to figure out what the hell people were talking about. And so I put in my age, sex, location. And all of a sudden I got this request for private chat. And Ooh. it was this other guy from Colorado. And I'm like, oh, cool, you're from Colorado. I'm like way up in Canada. And the guy's like, oh, that's amazing. And then <laughs> and then he's like, want a J slash O. Oh, like, God. Oh, oh sure. Gosh. Oh, sure, that sounds like fun. And I'm like, so what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, um, do you have your clothes on still? And I'm like, wait, what? You- Yes, <laughs> and then I found out what J slash O meant, and for anybody who's listening who didn't know that, in 1991 parlance, parla- oh, that means want to jack off with me. Yeah. In, a, in a text chat channel, huh? Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> Actually, intimate. Now that, now that you said that, you reminded me of a story, too. Um, oh, good. I remember on America <laughs> Online in my innocent days, when I, amidst looking up hints for Sierra games... I went to a chat which was role playing, and I thought, "Oh, I like role playing in adventure games. That's fun." <laughs> so I was Very... like, "Hey, everybody! I'm here. I like adventure games." And they were like, "Uh, this isn't that kind of role playing, kid." And I was like, "What? What other kind could there be?" And they were like, "Oh, uh, you really want to know?" <laughs> and uh, I got Sierra is the real gateway drug. We're learning. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. But, uh, hey, let's so, talk about Phantasmagoria. Yes, please. I oh, want to hear all about it. Uh, have either of you played Phantasmagoria? Oh, I yes. I, I own all seven CDs of the thing, and I own it on GOG as well. Oh, good. Yeah, I pirated it. Uh, I mean, I, I, uh, I acquired it through perfectly legal means uh, recently. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, it wasn't that recently because I still had my old computer from college, which had Windows 98 on it, which is how I was able to play wow. it. Um, oh, that's not terribly recent. Yeah. Um, so it was like in the mid, I think it was also like the mid 2000s or so, probably 05 or 06. But anyway, um, yeah, actually, it, Phantasmagoria Stands is probably one of the best eBay deals I've ever gotten because I managed to get I managed to get the big box with an included strategy guide, which is like the book of Phantasmagoria, which has like interviews with Roberta and all this other crap. And I got it, I got it for 99 cents. So... Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a steal. Yeah, it really is. Um, so, yeah, Phantasmagoria. Um, Brian, why don't, why don't you 
tell us your opinion first. Okay. All right, I have a very unpopular opinion that I have always kind of enjoyed this game. Okay. Now, I know that was an unpopular opinion it <laughs> well, is, but I mean, I've you can enjoy the game. It's what what reasons do you have for enjoying it? I'm curious. <laughs> it is mostly technological reasons. Okay. It's an early early FMV game. It's like um rotoscoped or otherwise videotaped uh, characters uh, walking around in photorealistic environments that are kind of augmented. You're being really generous there. Uh, Well, so there are some photorealistic areas and there are some things that are augmented with really chintzy computer renderings and there are some that are fully computer rendered. So... There, it's really overt and obvious. Yeah, it was mostly 3D. Yes. Yeah. And... And, oh, you're going to love this one, that um, they do a lot of the little kind of uh, nuances so- similar to a David Cage game where for no reason you can go into the fridge and eat something or you can go pour yourself a glass of water. And there's a little video clip that shows you doing it. And I, I liked this uh, when this game came out. I thought that was really cool because it just kind of gives you this sense of reality and presence. Well, Phantasmagoria is what inspired me to... I've always wanted to make a parody FMV game, which is literally just your character. You click on the door and your character just examines the door for ten minutes and doesn't do oh, anything. Gosh. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. and, she does plenty of that. Yeah, and, and like she combs her hair like 85 times and... Mm. Yeah. For what but Phantas... To, to give a sense of realism, or what, what were they hoping to achieve? I think it was just a gee whiz sort of thing. Like, hey, look, we can do video. Uh, look, there's a real person here. Exactly. But, um, but yeah, to give a little bit of background on Phantasmagoria, Roberta Williams considers it the defining game of her career. She says... How? Uh, I don't know. She says that it's basically, if she when she dies, she wants to be remembered for Phantasmagoria, which... She will be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, might be, be might be the reason for her death. <laughs> Someone yeah. will kind of trowel her with some some dirt, and that'll be the end of Ms. Williams. <laughs> it'll be so, it'll be so Paco the slave. Is, is Phantasmagoria the the house rape game? No, yes, the house rape. No, 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 yeah. no, the house. No, the house. No, 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 no. She's no. raped in a house. No, yes, Phantasmagoria features a scene where she is raped in the house. No, the 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 game where the house rapes the person. That's the eleventh hour, yeah. the sequel to the seventh guest. Yes. Oh, oh that was the seventh which, guest. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, yeah, I got yeah, confused yeah. between FMV games. No, that, okay, that's okay. See, there's fine. house rape, and then there's house rape. Yeah, which worries me that there's two <laughs> games that feature yeah, house rape not... now. That, that's really for... disconcerting. Yes. Well, I'm glad that we're all familiar with all of those iterations. Yeah, that's yeah. But uh, you're the right guys for this conversation. Yeah. But anyway, I was I well, was looking through my. Uh... Played Phantasmagoria. What's the what's the overall story like? What's the overarching plot? Oh, oh, the house uh, is a jerk. What plot? <laughs> that's about the it. The plot is the your basic. No, it's your basic cookie cutter horror game. It's this young couple mm-hmm. have moved into this creepy old house, which oh, there can't be. They got it for a steal. Gee, I wonder why. Because it's this. It's really more of a castle. It's like this giant, horrifying, gotcha. badly 3D rendered house. And uh, you play as Adrian, who is like this completely yuppie New England lady, and her husband, Don, the photographer, who has this weird ponytail and he's a, kind of a strange guy. And throughout the course of exploring the house, because really the whole the whole impetus of like the first act is, oh, hey, I want to explore the house. It's this creepy new house that you've, we've bought, and I haven't seen it all, and there's exactly. like rooms that are locked. 
So she like wanders around the house and she eventually finds like a key to something. And the house used to be owned by this um, magician named Zoltan Karnovash or Karno. And um, yeah, so so as you explore the house, you kind of learn a little bit more about Karno and like she inadvertently ends up finding a secret room which has this uh, book on it and she opens the box and this green mist flies out and it turns out she's unleashed a demon who then possesses her husband and as the days go on her husband gets increasingly more aggressive and hostile and she basically kind of wanders around in a stupor until she sees one night towards the end in all of the reflective surfaces of the house that Carno uh, married like seven wives he's basically the Henry VIII of the magic world he he yeah he had like seven wives and he killed them all in unusual and gory ways which served no purpose to the story except to be gratuitously gory and uh and then in the end she has to like kill her husband and get rid of the demon that's it really but it's wow. seven CDs of this crap and yeah and basically, the majority of what the CD takes up, the space on the CD is taken up by her videos of her brushing her hair and, like, <laughs> looking at things and going, oh, what's this? Oh, and you have to be able to do that in every chapter, too. If yeah. you brush your hair in chapter one, you got to do it in all seven chapters. Well, let's see, the first, yeah. first six chapters, anyway. Exactly. If, if it was a game that came out nowadays, I'm sure there would be an achievement for brushing your hair in every single chapter. Right. But, the, the I mean, the production values are a little lacking i mean the acting is terrible and for some reason it sounds like they recorded the whole thing in like a zeppelin hangar because it doesn't matter if they're inside the house or outdoors oh, there's, yeah. just, there's this really loud echo of the studio everywhere so yeah, it's weird. yeah it's really really terrible but um but yeah the the i was reading through my uh through the book and um and the interview with Roberta, she basically said that the reason she wanted to do, she wanted to move away from like the cutesy King's Quest and do a, a horror game was because she felt that you couldn't really uh, express fear or make a player feel fear through a low res pixelated adventure game. She wanted real people to be there, and so she thought that that would okay. make it scarier. But I don't know that she okay. necessarily achieved that goal. You know, well, funny. now that I've seen more horror movies, it's really clear how like far from the mark she hits. Yeah. But I didn't really I wasn't into horror movies at all as a kid. The only horror movie I ever liked if you call it that was um oh shit, was the 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 trauma one. Um oh. one. <laughs> uh the um Toxic Avenger. Oh, okay. Oh, right. That's right. as close. And that in itself is a parody. And so yeah, it's only like having been door, familiar yeah. with parodies of the genre, yeah. then it sort of made sense to me the directions she was going, but uh, I kind of saw this protagonist. Uh, other than being easy on the eyes, which she yeah. is, she is like this fearless woman who, no matter what is going on around her, she's always ever more curious and and uh, she's pretty dumb. Walking though. into dangerous, she's super. She's dumb. A, she's, she's an idiot. Oblivious. She should have left the house like from day one when the fortune. There's a fortune teller. There's a fortune teller machine like from Big in the living room of their house, and every day it's like. <laughs> This house is evil. Fortune's like, this house is evil. Get out while you still can. Look out. You're going to die. And she's like, oh, what a bunch of garbage. And she throws it away. She's like, she should have gotten out of the house the first chance she got. She basically saves the day by rattling doorknobs all the yeah, time. Yeah, pretty, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> that's about that's about as strategic as she gets. Yeah. And then her well, husband, like... It's... 
It's interesting okay. that, um, you know, I was thinking about how, you know, her, her intention was to actually create an emotional experience of some kind. Because I have to admit, like, playing King's Quest Four and I think King's Quest Five, I had, like, specifically, like, I had, like, two specific emotional experiences in that movie, or in, like, in those two games that I actually remember pretty well. Um, I remember King's Quest Four. Isn't there, like, a really poor fisherman that lives with his wife in this old shack? Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember feeling really bad for them when I was a kid. Like, like I was trying to give them all of my stuff because um, mm-hmm. I, really, I felt really bad for them because they were so poor. And then I, I don't know if you guys remember this part, but in King's Quest V, there's a, I want to say there's a scene, and I think it's with a starving eagle. Um, yes. And, and you have to give him, like, a haunch of meat that you're carrying or something. And mm-hmm. I remember being like totally choked up as a as a kid because I thought that this like eagle was actually starving and I felt really bad for it. But I think it's more because there was just like this really amazing um, music that was playing. I don't know who did the King's Quest Five soundtrack, um, but I think it was it has, uh, like, Mark this... Siebert. Oh, it was Mark Siebert. I, I, oh, cool. Yeah, it has like this really sure sad music are. playing in the background when the uh, you meet the starving eagle, and I remember getting really choked <laughs> up by it. And it's like mm-hmm. it's funny that you know to me, um, for the most part, the uh, um, I don't know Sierra. It's not one of their hallmarks. Like cre- emotional experiences in their game was not one of their hallmarks. They basically mm-hmm. kind of just managed to to tell basic stories. Well, that's an interesting mm-hmm. point that you bring up because I remember thinking in my when I just played King's Quest 4 the other day I remember feeling the same way as you like when I played it as a kid like you know you go in and I mean right. there's the, the, the fisherman and his wife and they're poor and you give him the pouch of diamonds and he's like oh yeah. thanks so much here's my fishing pole which in and of itself is kind of a bait and switch also no pun intended um, but uh, yeah I know I know but I remember thinking like because the Sierra games didn't have dialogue like the LucasArts games did. And so, you know, you go into the fisherman's hut before, or shack or whatever, before he goes in and his wife is in there. And if you talk to her, you just get something like, you know, she looks at you annoyed and says, get out, I'm, I'm busy or whatever. And then like, you walk over to the dock and the fisherman's there and he walks in and you talk to him in the shack and he's like, oh, we, we're having a really hard time. I don't know how long we're going to be able to keep on living or something. And that's right, it. Right. It's like there's no indication yep. that you should give them anything. Or, and when you give it to them, they're like, oh, thank you so much. This will help us so much. So there's no character depth there whatsoever. It's like... No, none, of, none at all. And I remember you can even give them, if you, you can accidentally give them, I think that gold ball you find underneath the bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'll be happy with that, except it sucks you over for the rest of the game. yeah. Yeah, so it's like there's no there's no real depth to any of the characters in any, any King's Quest games. But like you said, when you're a kid, it seems like it's so much more than it actually is. So I wonder if that has anything to do with like the fact that the King's Quest games are designed for a younger audience, so they don't need to be particularly deep or complex. They're just kind of... Yeah, well, I think that also harkens back to the point. Infocom kind of style where... Uh, the depth is however deep they want to make it. Like there's no, there's no, um, there's no formula for the sorts of things that you are able to do in a text adventure, for example. Right. There's no restrictions. Whatever you can type, whatever you can describe, yeah. will become reality. It's like a book in that sense. So perhaps that's kind of what they're channeling. I guess. Yeah, and I think I think they're pretty success- successful at giving like a bare bones skeleton kind of character that you 
you know, there's the, I, let, let's say that there's good and bad points to being overly, um, to being overly, um, what's the word, um, textual in a game where now if you play a modern adventure game, you're, you're just like overwhelmed with walls of text on every single page because yeah. the developer is intentionally making this for an adult audience where they know that somebody's going to be willing to, you know, understand that this character has underlying motivations that you should be suspicious of and that at some point later will be foreshadowed. And, and you know, they build a very complex emotional experience. But for kids, yeah, kids totally, they just kind of latch on to the basic emotional situation is they're poor, they're starving, yeah. they feel really, really bad. And it works. Right. It, mm -hmm. it totally works. Yeah, you can paint them in broad strokes and get away with it for, for kids because, yeah. But... Yeah, well, I don't know. I've... And also to your point, Francisco, um, I'm thinking about now having played both the text parser and point-and-click versions of Quest for Glory 1. Mm. Um, oh. One of the first people that you meet is... Who is it that gives you all these descriptions? It's like the, the mayor or the burgermeister right. or whatever of the town. And right. you can ask... Oh, no, and, and there's also... Well, yeah, the sheriff. Okay, there you go. Um, in the text-based version, there were certain things that you could ask, and... Usually he would say nothing about it, but sometimes he would give you this like whole description of oh here's what this is like and you're they're uh, they're susceptible to this and they show up in the situations right. like this um, and it seemed mm -hmm. like there was this kind of endless uh, endless like uh, wealth of knowledge that you just had to find the right words to tap into and then having played the VGA version where you kind of get this clickable bullet list more or less then you see yeah. the constraints of exactly what this person can say so yeah, exactly. it is very much an illusion of depth. Yeah, and it's funny. It's funny yeah. that, that there is such a significant difference. I played the first um, the first Quest for Glory. I played was actually Quest for Glory three, which is kind of funny. Um, hey, me too. And, oh, right. really? Yeah, yeah. I um, I, I, I was just saying that, that it, game. Yeah. I, 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 I was just saying it's easily to... the it's easily the weakest in the series, but it has a special place in my heart because it was the first one I played. Yeah, um, oh, I think it was the last one I played, and I couldn't get into it at all. Yeah. I, I can completely understand why people don't like it, but I think it's got a few things going for it. One thing is um, the music is incredibly good compared yeah. to uh, the other Quest for Lore games. It's like this really kind of full orchestra, um, and, and they just like, they kind of nail that kind of Afrikaans uh, kind of um, musical style really, really mm. well, I think. Um, but um, uh, what I was going to say was, yeah, Quest for Glory 1, I played... The first Quest for Glory one I played was actually Quest for Glory one VGA, um, the remake version. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and same. So I, yeah, I got used to um, kind of going through dialogue trees by just clicking my way through. You know, ask about Baron, ask about, um, ask about uh, what was the the Baroness, or ask about um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and kind of digging your way through the dialogue tree. Mm -hmm. And it totally does change your interactive. It changes your experience because you kind of. It's a, it's weird. You're before you even know that some of those things exist. You're already asking about them. Yeah. Well, you could also you could mm -hmm. do the same in uh, Quest for Glory too. Even though you had to type them in, like if you had already played the game and you go back and you ask characters about stuff that you don't learn about until later in the game, they'll give you a response sometimes. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. that's funny. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow, but, it's, funny uh, how, like, yeah. it's, it's interesting because like our <laughs> our I think that's what a lot of this is about to me is I think Sierra was so beloved back in the day because we were kids and we had a very different kind of relationship with parsers with uh, UIs now and now that we're older we 
for instance, one of the things we expect is when we play an adventure game, um, I've noticed this in games like Primordia, um, we expect that if we meet a character for the first time and we don't know any other information about the world, we should not be able to ask about things that exist in the world, that the player should never have more information than the protagonist does. Right, um, right. Yeah, and that's become a convention that we expect as, as adult players because we know logically, well, just because I know this doesn't mean my player... Uh, doesn't mean my protagonist protagonist doesn't know this, mm-hmm. um, but that's interesting because kids, and up until I don't know the age of ten or so, um, don't can't make that connection. They they cannot distinguish the difference between what my character knows versus what I know as the reader. Um, Very true. Yeah, and I think that you know that that accounts for so many of the reasons why I kind of find, you know, playing Quest for Glory one a little tedious these days because you know, it's. In some ways, it just seems a little unbelievable or a little silly or a little poorly designed, but I think it's just because my tastes have changed. Mm. Well, you're absolutely right, I think, about the dialogue trees revealing to you the things that you won't have known about on your first playthrough, but right. the Quest for Glory series in particular is, I would say, like it's really designed to be played more than once because the very first yeah. thing you do in any of those games is to choose one of three or four very unique uh character classes, and then uh, even put points into various skills that you may or may not use. So there's a lot of different ways you can solve any one puzzle. And I guess it's sort of, I don't know, maybe it's making an overly positive reflection on the situation, but it kind of rewards you for having played it played it before, that you can ask about things and kind of cut to the chase. Oh, totally. And, it was, and, a, and it's yeah. the only Sierra game, or actually one of the only adventure-ish kind of RPGs I know of that lets you import your character from game to game. Yep. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Did you guys ever actually try that? What, keeping I, characters throughout the whole game? Yeah, like actually importing oh, yeah. them from Quest for Glory 1 to 2 to 3. Yeah, absolutely. I only really played 1 and 4, so I uh, had the option to import my player from number 1, but the the, the point where your points start to get uh, spec'd out like increases, like the, right. the highest possible level you could be in the previous game is where you start in the next one. Yeah. I uh, yeah so, I haven't done it in a, in a while, but I, for a while there I used to do an entire series playthrough, and I've pretty much played through the entire series as each character class with different oh, with, wow. you know importing them throughout. And one of the last ones I did, <laughs> one of the last ones I did was I created a wizard and I called him Harry Potter. And um, there's a there's a <laughs> there's a spell that you get in Quest for Glory Five, which is they make reference to it in Quest for Glory Three in the manual as a joke, but they actually implemented it in Quest for Glory Five, which is the thermonuclear blast spell. And um, it's basically it's described as you know it's an atomic uh, thermonuclear blast, and it's like you know don't expect anything to live in the radius of like fifty miles from where you cast this spell, and so you can get it. In five, and at the end of five, you have to fight a dragon, and you can cast thermonuclear blast to sacrifice yourself and kill the dragon. So I, yeah. So I thought, knowing this, I thought, what a great arc it would be, because you can actually, like, with all your the the companions, your friends that you have with fighting the dragon with you, you can tell them that you're going to sacrifice yourself, and they're like, oh, okay, and they leave you. So. Oh. If you so choose, you can you can do that. So I thought, oh, what a great you know wow. story series this would be. We start off as like you know scrappy young Harry Potter and Spielberg, and we'll end up in Silmaria fighting this dragon. But um, there was a bug where if you cast thermonuclear blast, the game would crash. So I got to the very end, 
Oh, and I cool. cast thermonuclear blast, <laughs> and the game crashed, and I was like, this is the best ending ever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that is pretty nifty. Meta. So I haven't, I haven't brought myself to play it through again, because I don't think I can talk that ever again. That's pretty amazing. So, that actually reminds enough. me of That's cool. one, one really interesting kind of Sierra-specific stylistic choice is mini-games. Uh, do you guys happen to know the history of like oh, yeah. in, in, in adventure games? The history of no, yeah, not well, so much I'm the history. Curious, like, no, what what just, game had the first mini game? Was it possibly Space Quest One? I think so because we actually covered mini games uh, as part of the topic in the episode we released today of Blue Cup Tools. And yeah, oh, I noticed. Oh, cool. No, yeah, it was one of the, it, we talked about narration and mini games. Um, but yeah, one of the one of we realized that uh, the only real series that had mini games were Space Quest and Leisure Suit Larry. Because there weren't any in King's uh, Quest. And uh, to an extent, Police Quest, I don't think there were really mini-games driving around and stuff. Yeah. They, I guess you could kind there of... Were you're not really target practice. Yeah. Police Quest totally had mini-games. Okay, well then... Oh, did they? Then Police Quest did as well. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was Quest Space Quest. And, uh, Quest for Glory, if you consider the combat mini-games, I guess. Or, well, there was also oh, the... No. Uh, you could throw daggers and stuff. And the wizard Do you remember the dagger game. throwing? There's yeah, a yeah, wizard yeah. game. They're absolutely oh, yeah. right, yes. But and, uh, um, it's funny how Sierra had, like, it actually had a lot of them. Um, do you guys remember in um, Conquest of the Longbow, there's an amazing mini game oh, yeah. of uh, Nine Men's Morris? Oh, yes. yeah. I was terrible at that yes, game. Yes, yes. It, it actually, hard. yeah, it comes with a little, a little board in, as one of the feelies in the box. Oh, so you can play. Oh, yeah, yeah, you right. can play. Right. Your own. You can actually play it at home. Yeah, hmm. I own that one. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, the reason why Conquest... I brought it up was because. Yeah. What's this? Sorry. Oh no, I was just going to say, Conquest of Camelot kind of has mini games too, like the jousting and stuff is sort of a oh, mini yeah. game. You have to joust the Black Knight. That's right, and you could also right. um, there's like sort of a mini game where you have to walk across the ice without making a crack and kind of. Yeah. Um, it's not really. It's more of a puzzle, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But or, it's funny how, it, do you guys remember in about, uh, I want to say 1993 or 94, maybe 95, Sierra started actually selling their mini games in separate, like, floppy boxes called Crazy, oh, right. Crazy Nick Software Picks? Yes. Crazy Nick's Picks, that's yes. right. Yes, I have the Space Quest one. Ooh. Yeah, and I got, <laughs> I got, uh, that's a, I didn't yeah. even play Ponsers <laughs> the Longbow. I actually bought Crazy Nick Software Picks to get the awesome uh, arrow shooting game. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, it was a target practice thing. Yeah. Target practice game, yeah. And it was like, Sierra kind of went like really hard on those for a while. And like, you know, the is Goblins a Sierra? Or no, that's Cocktail Vision, isn't it? Cocktail, but yeah. 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 Goblin it's like, suits, it's interesting uh, how like, Lucas, LucasArts, as far as I know, never went in the direction of minigames, did they? Uh, they did, yeah. They had uh, the Demolition Derby and the, the stuff in full throttle, I would say, are minigames. And, um, That's true. And oh, right. They were like puzzly minigames, though. Yeah, Sam and Max had them, too, but those, those were optional. optional. Except for yeah, the, um, what do you call it? The Wackerat was... Uh, Oh yeah, right. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, but that was, you know, that was that's one of my favorites of all time too, just because it's so funny. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's like I guess Monkey that, Combat like, Sierra... could sort of be considered one. Which one? Monkey Combat and Escape from Monkey Island. Although that's really a puzzle. Oh, I never played Mo- Escape from Monkey Island. That's the one that oh. Richard Cobbett denies even exists, right? Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the funniest things I've ever heard spoken on the radio. It's like. 
oh, I really wish they'd made a fourth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, mini games are, they're kind of weird, but whatever. They're, they're part of the Sierra lexicon. Yeah, de- definitely Somehow. part of their, their, their DNA, yeah. They're a better idea, I think, in like on a design document than they yeah. are in practice. I appreciate Absolutely. that they let you skip them, but I always felt like I was cheating myself by m- missing out on five points or whatever yeah. for having skipped Yeah, it. yeah. Oh, that friggin' Space Quest 401 where you make oh, the hamburgers that makes God, me pull yes. my hair out. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you guys have any idea how much time I spent playing that stupid game? I loved it. You did. <laughs> I oh, honestly I did. I just found out recently <laughs> from Richard Cobbett that you could actually look at things in that on yes, that screen. Yeah. I didn't realize you could look. And on yeah. the CD oh, version, too. on the CD version, they talk to you. The ketchup and the mustard oh, really? and the lettuce, they talk to you, yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I didn't know that. I've only ever played, it's honestly, the floppy version of uh, Space Quest 4, so I've never even heard the uh, narrator. Oh, post. yeah. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah, me too. Gary Owens, or R.I.P. Gary Owens, yeah, who just passed R. I. P. away. R.I.P. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, Great voice, but yeah. couldn't, I couldn't stand Sierra CD-ROMs of that era. Yeah. I, I couldn't stand the voice actor. Well, trailer. he was the only professional on that one, because yeah, everyone else was Sierra employees. He was great. Yeah. Oh, he was so great. I just loved his enthusiasm and his delivery. Yeah. But <laughs> I, uh, um, but going I, back to... Oh, sorry. Yeah, go for it. Oh, I was just going to say, going back to Phantasmagoria and the, the whole idea of, of um, yeah. sort of evoking emotions from, from players in Sierra games, like, I, I see where Roberto was going with Phantasmagoria, but it just misses the mark completely and just becomes laughable. And it's really hard to pull that off successfully. And I mean, like I said about the whole, you, you watch the wives getting murdered, and the way it's presented is just so stupid and gratuitous. It's just like, like okay, I'm, I get to watch another wife getting murdered. Like, it's just... It's very yeah, ham-handed. It yeah. is very yeah. ham-handed. And, and even the rape scene, like, it's supposed to be like, oh my god, her husband is possessed by a demon, and he's raping her, and like, oh no. And I remember reading, I used to subscribe to Interaction Magazine, and... uh oh, nice. And Roberta, the old yeah, the old Sierra magazine, and there was uh, Roberta Williams's son, Chris Williams. Right. <laughs> Would uh, yeah, he he had an article, and I, I remember one time he wrote about how he like spent the summer as an intern, like mopping up the fake blood on the set of Phantasmagoria, and. <laughs> That's a full-time job. Yeah, and he was like, oh, yeah, it was really cool. But I think he was like 17 at the time, so he's like, yeah, they let me watch all these great gory scenes, but there was one scene that they didn't let me watch. And I'm like, (laughs) if it was the rape scene, they totally could have let you watch it because it's so stupid. It's like, I mean, I don't mean to diminish the effect that they were trying to go for or anything. This is a can (laughs) of worms I don't want to open here. But essentially, Mm. all it amounts to is the fact is like, they're in bed and they're kissing, and then all of a sudden he's like, "No, they're not even in bed. She's combing." No, they're in the. She's bathroom. combing her hair. She's combing her hair in the yeah. fucking mirror in the bathroom, like she does the rest of the fucking game. And Don comes up behind her and like starts kissing her, and she's like, "Oh, Don, I'm mad at you." And then she like starts getting into it, and then he like, there's this stupid like, that stupid uh, chanting that. Plays whenever something dramatic uh-huh. happens, it's just like, oh, hey, oh, and then he like grabs her, and he's 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 in his underwear, and he just like starts like jackhammering, dry humping her, 
and and she's like no 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 and he's like and then like he literally stops after like 30 seconds so it's like okay sorry man you're a minute man don whatever and then she like collapses in the corner and cries and it's like what did i just see this is awful i mean yeah i get that they didn't want to go full out a full out I wouldn't, yeah. you know, I wouldn't want to see a, a graphic rape scene in my computer game. But if you're gonna, right. if you're gonna do it that badly, why do it at all? No, that's that's one that you want to treat pretty gingerly. Yeah, yeah you do. So they, were, they had no subtlety. No, yeah, it was, well, was. It's the worstly handled thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because um, Phantasmagoria is 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 a really weird kind of game because it brings up kind of one of the things that I've always kind of hammered at in computer game development, which is, we, you know, the, the great thing and the most terrible thing about making computer games is that as the developer, you have absolutely no control over how your audience is going to experience your game. Yeah, um, sure. And, you know, interactivity for, is, is, you know, our, our strongest and weakest part of our games because we literally, you know, I, I, I think about games, I've heard this so many times from developers, they come up with this really meaningful, like, painful or, or I don't know, beautiful romantic scene or something like this in their game, and then a player plays it, and they just start fucking laughing. They think yeah. it's, like, trite or ridiculous, and, and you know, the developer's mm-hmm. like, you know, that was the most meaningful scene in my entire game. I've, like, heard this from, like, a dozen people, and they're like, yeah, and players just click through it and they ignore it, or they just start laughing and they think it's the stupidest thing they've ever seen. And I'm like, that's kind of interesting because it's like, you know, for the developer, they're hoping to, you know, create this really meaningful climactic cutscene or something like that. And for the player, it's not, you know, experienced like that at all. And, um, you know, Phantasmagoria has, is in this funny spot where it's half, basically half film, half game. And, yeah. you know, film allows you to do that, but you have to be able to pull that off too. Yeah. yeah, it's something you have to build up, and you have to have your your players, you know, be, or the the characters. You have to care about them. Yeah, yeah, and you they exactly. have to be real, and you have to feel their loss. And when you something really bad happens. don't at that point in Phantasmagoria. No, and you don't really. No, they're kind of wooden. Yeah, you don't don't feel it at at any point in Phantasmagoria. To be honest, there's no real. You never really feel for the characters, which is, I think, it's probably Roberta Williams's biggest fault is that she just doesn't create really. Memorable characters, they're all pretty bland. Oh, the, it's funny. I can't even describe um, Adrian yeah. in uh, Phantasmagoria. Like I don't know what she's a writer. I, yeah, she's a writer, and she has a really old laptop that breaks. Oh, that reminds me of one actually genuinely really good line in that game, where Adrian goes to this little town, <laughs> and uh, there's this one super asshole. He was the um, oh the real, the, estate uh, real estate agent. agent. Yes, that's right. And so he calls her a writer or whatever. She's like, I'm not a writer. I'm a novelist. He's like, oh yeah, what have you novel? <laughs> That's a great line. I'll give her that one. I, like I watched. That one. Uh, I watched. I think it was. Uh, I forget who it was. Low tax, and I think one of the guys from the Red Supere. Uh, they did a. Right. Oh, I still haven't. Yeah, seen they those. did a. They did a Phantasmagoria let's play, which is kind of frustrating in a sense because they're like they spend so much time making jokes that they miss out on the dialogue. So they're like, what the hell's going on? So whatever. But, right. but oh, I hate when they talk over the dialogue. Yeah, but they pointed out this really funny thing, which is there's uh, there's an antique shop, and there's a lady in there who basically is like info dump lady, Luann, I think yes. her name is, and you talk to her, and every single time you talk to her, 
it it they filmed it so it seems like you know adrian left and came back so like she comes and she's like hey Luan. and she turns around she's like oh hi adrian it's it's like tommy wiseau's the room so she's like oh i know i know so she, you're just going from sentence to sentence and she's surprised to see yeah it. she does like they they have this whole long conversation and then it stops and adrian is like standing right behind her and then you click on her again and then the video starts and she's like hi luan oh hi Adrian, how nice to see you. It's like, you just finished talking to me two seconds ago. <laughs> she works exactly like that coin-operated fortune teller yeah, in her living room. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, pretty funny. The other the other info dump uh, is annoying in that game, too, which is some, like, mysterious homeless lady who oh, lives oh, in a barn or something. God, yes. And her idiot man-child. <laughs> Cyrus, <they're>... yeah. <laughs> Sorry. This is really where the game, like, falls apart. Because yeah. these are idiotic, completely unnecessary yes. characters. Oh, and the, what... I forget what her name is. Harry. She's actually she actually has a cameo in uh, Phantasmagoria too. As oh well. yeah, nice. Which yeah was not exactly a Roberta Williams. Yeah, one. she she wears this. Yeah, no, it was Lorelai Shannon who actually wrote King's Quest Seven. So I don't know. I guess I guess oh, wow. to kind of get your foot in the door at Sierra, you had to co-design a Sierra game and then they would or a Roberta Williams game and then they would give you your own because that's what Jane Jensen did with King's Quest Six. Oh yeah. And then they gave her Gabriel I, Knight. You, you, and then, you, probably, you probably start yeah. off as a secretary, then you move to voiceovers, and then you get to design your own game. Yeah, okay. probably. <laughs> probably. You st- and then, if you're really lucky, you get to be Roberta Williams's manservant in in her retirement, <laughs> and Ken Williams's mustache comber. But anyway, um, yeah, no, Harriet. Harriet's funny because she like has this red hat that makes her look like a gnome, and she's like this little weirdo lady. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. they're really. Did you guys know I that don't... they're doing a fan- or they've been trying to do a Phantasmagoria movie for I don't know how. long? I heard about this. You're what the me. hell? Yeah, it's been... How like, are they going to round this story out? I don't know, but it's been in development hell for a while. But last I heard, they had been making some really big casting change, or there had been, like, some real big casting news. Like, I think they got Misha Barton to play Adrian, and I don't know who uh, she's, like, some... I think she was on the OC or something. She's, like, I don't know. Okay. But they got, they got Miriam Margolis, who's, like, a really respected English actress comedian to play Harriet and I'm just like I guess I can see it but what? that would be so so stupid this is weird I don't know how they're gonna is it like a kickstarted project or coherent no it's not it's not no it's, a, it's just wow legit Hollywood thing yeah but I don't I mean I don't think I don't think anything's gonna come of it because they've been talking about it for years but it has an IMDB page and everything you should link to it in the show notes Oh, that I will. <laughs> I think I looked that up when I heard this this renewed news not too long ago, and it doesn't really say very much. Yeah, let me. I will certainly put that in the show notes. Let me see if I can find it for you. Oh, I can't spell Phantasmagoria apparently. <laughs> oh wow, it's already got two and a half stars, and it isn't even out yet. That tells you something. Oh, you know it's going to be good. Yeah. Oh wait, never mind. This is something else. <laughs> Oh. This is Phantasmagoria 2014, Three Tales of Horror. Oh, oh weird. So else? there's already one made? No, but... It, I don't think it's related. It's, it's, it's not, not really, related. Yeah, no. Is it? It's not related at all. But there is one called Phantasmagoria the movie. Yeah, here we go. Young married couple inherits an old southern plantation once owned by an eccentric 19th century magician. Is it called Phantasmagoria the yes, movie? Yes, it is. What? <laughs> wow. Oh, oh wait. 
We're off to a and good start. And apparently it's not Misha Barton. Someone named Kelly Overton is cast as Adrian. Matt Dallas is Dawn. Miriam Margolis is Harriet. Harv, Mike, and Gaston. I don't know who any of these people are. <laughs> good sign. Well, yeah. Yeah, there's like seven people in this whole game. Yeah. So I don't know. Not yeah. including not including the the. All right, just go. I think you should lives. find out where it's being shot and 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 just become their producer. I no, I want to be an extra. I just want to be the guy that runs across. You know, Roberta Williams was an extra in Phantasmagoria. She's one of the uh, town girls by the village. Oh, that reminds me. The, the one, office, the, one uh, the one thing, window. the one thing we never talked about. Um, Roberta Williams on the front cover of Soft Porn Adventure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Is she in a hot tub yeah, or something? Yeah, the classic yes. hot tub cover, which was like massively She's... controversial and probably still is today. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the yeah. best part was, like, everyone's like, I remember when it, um, when it first happened, I remember reading about how people were like, you know, this is sexist, et cetera, et cetera. Whole can of worms, not worth going into. Um, but then, I think it was a few years later, people found out it was actually Roberta Williams' idea to do it. <laughs> and and she was the one that actually convinced Ken to use herself and I think it's I think there might be a coworker, one of her coworkers, um uh Yeah, and I think it was the that. wife of one of the developers too. Yes. Exactly. It was, and uh, was it Mark Crow's wife? I don't remember. I don't know. Yeah, something like but, yeah. that. Yeah. Did Ken like blow the whole budget on mustache wax or something and had to <laughs> Take it in house, <laughs> probably. Um, yeah, but one thing that always sticks out to me is I don't remember what game it was with, but it was it was a C- it was a later game because it was on CD ROM. But there was some like little featurette on the CD ROM, like a behind the scenes at Sierra thing, and they're mm-hmm. talking to Ken and Roberta, and they ask Roberta. So do you like working at Sierra? And she looks at the camera, and she's just like she kind of half smiles, and she's like. Well, I'm married to the boss, so what can I say? I have to like it. <laughs> and she says it as a joke, but there's just something about the way she said it that makes me feel like there's like she's a, she just she actually feels that way, which made me feel she's sad. like secretly using sign language. <laughs> yeah, secretly using sign language, saying "send the police." Pretty much. <laughs> well, she says pretty it. much. So. This sounds familiar. It might have been with Police Group Four or something like that, or. Yeah, <laughs> I, th- I I think I have this video too. Maybe it yeah. was on Phantasmagoria. I don't know. No, some CD-ROM it might have been on Police Quest Four, I think. But yeah, it was yeah, it was it it was the one flash that made me feel sorry for Roberta Williams, but not anymore. And I made a torture simulator. What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Nice. So yeah, I wonder whose idea it was. To have Cedric the Owl. I wonder whose idea it was to create Cedric the Owl. It has to have been hers. And I wonder whose whose idea it was in the in the booth to say, "Hey, that's a good voice for you." Yeah, maybe they had like a casting director, and they just qualified like fourteen people before choosing that guy. <laughs> I don't think they even had a casting director. I think it was just like, "Hey, you come over here, record into this headset." Uh-huh. For you with a tie. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, I got, I'm going to out yeah. myself. I When I was a kid, I thought Cedric was awesome. I thought he, I was like, I, <laughs> I had no problems at all with the way he was voiced. And I felt there's this part where Cedric gets like hurt by the harpies or something. And you have yes. to take his body yep. to this hermit. And mm-hmm. I felt so bad for him. Like I felt like incredibly <laughs> bad that Cedric was hurt and that this like 
you know, and I felt like a thousand times better when this this old hermit helped him to go well, after the put a poultice on his wing. Yeah, I um. <laughs> oh. I only had the floppy version, so it was it almost killed me to finish that game as is. I had very little interest in playing it in the voiced version. I played I, uh, I played King's Quest Five the for the first time on the NES, so I didn't have oh, wow. the graphics or See, the oh, voices. So yeah, it's like amazing that they were able to cram that game into an NES cartridge at all. Yeah, I think that might have been like the biggest, the highest capacity NES cartridge, if not ever, than like for a long time. Probably, I can imagine that was, that was a real stretch game. that one. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, but I remember when uh, when Ben Chandler played King's Quest V. I I was talking to him on Skype while he did it, and at that scene with the harpy, he took a screenshot and he tweeted it, and he put yes. So he obviously didn't feel the same way about Cedric as you did. So in your face, Chris. Fourteen-year-old oh, me is oh. crying, crying. Yeah, no, it's all right. <laughs> Man, what is this? King's Quest Seven? Oh. Oh my! Because I got a ball pack rubbed against my face. That's what happened. Oh, I see. Well, oh yeah. Gonna make me cry. That's a, that's. I guess that's an appropriate reaction to that sort of thing, unless you know, whatever. But hey, <laughs> hey. Do we talk about King's Quest Seven, or do we? St- I'm I'm kind of curious to hear about number eight. Oh yeah. Oh, I never played. Neither it. did that's, I. Sure. That's the one where you basically run around stabbing people. And that's the it? one that Roberta Williams went on record as saying was shit. So I'm curious if she thinks it's oh, wow. shit. What? What? How is it really? You know what? I to be honest, I only played about two hours of King's Quest Eight, and I didn't know what to make of it because I didn't think it was that bad. I actually, it reminded me, it, it certainly didn't feel like a King's Quest game. Um, it, it was so radically different um, with the 3D interface, and I had not played King's Quest, or sorry, Quest for Glory 5 yet. So, but it, it feels very different from Quest for Glory 5. I think the closest comparison I can make is it feels a little bit more like an Alone in the Dark game. Hmm. Um, and... There's like I don't know how to explain it. There's no feeling in the world. Like if you, if you think King's Quest Four or Five is bad for that, um, King's Quest Eight has even less kind of emotional presence, and the characters are completely meaningless. Like hmm. it seemed more like to me it was a tech like a tech demo that they decided to finally release and kind of gave up and said, well, we you know we don't really have a game here. Um, you know, I, if somebody's listening that has a better correction than that, I, I'd love to hear it. But I honestly didn't get far enough into King's Quest 8 at all to appreciate it, and I was really I was really confused as to where it fit in the whole King's Quest kind of um, universe altogether, because it felt really, really generic, and I and I, I guess maybe it's because I was spoiled with King's Quest 5 and 6. Uh, skipped yeah. well, who's the protagonist of this game? Uh, if I remember correctly, isn't he like some like long descendant? He's not, I don't think he's even I don't think he's even part of the da- kingdom of Daventry. He's some poor pl- peasant guy named Connor, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Connor, exactly. Yeah, and he he has no relationship, at least at the start of the game, to to Daventry, as far as I know. In terms of the, you're not like, you're not one of the royal descendants, as far as I know. Yeah. And so, um, okay. but I don't know. It had, had a couple of things going for it. I think like. If you look at it now, it probably looks pretty aged, but at its t- when it came out, I actually thought visually it had some interesting kind of, like, it had some, made some interesting UI choices. It took some big risks with the UI that I don't think people developing games now would make. Um, mm-hmm. 
Yes, Sierra was a real pioneer in a lot of 3D stuff as well. I mean, they were yeah. in some ways uh, late to the party in terms of incorporating 3D, but at the same time, they kind of did some things before anyone else did them. Yeah. Like I'm thinking of um, Gabriel Knight 3, for example. Right. Yeah. That took a lot of risks and probably mostly not for the better. Uh, in terms of the the camera and the UI, and I stuff, actually really liked the interface in Gabriel Knight Three. Oddly enough, you like yeah. it? Yeah, huh? I fought it so hard. Yeah, I just I had trouble uh, with it. I I didn't mind it so much, um, but yeah, Sierra never really pulled off any good looking 3D adventure games. But then again, well, Lucas Grim no. Fandango looked looked good for its time. I mean, so did Escape. it looked amazing for From, its time. It yeah. looks good today, even in the well, oh yeah, with the remaster. Original... Yeah. No, but even in the low-res stuff, oh, that's I think true, it's, yeah. it's kind of timeless. Yeah. It has this kind of paper doll sort of a look, but intentionally. Yeah, exactly. So it's, I think it's magnificent. Yeah. Do, you ever play, uh, do you remember when Sierra started to really struggle? Like, they were really, like, grasping at straws, and they started to publish other games like Rendezvous with Rama? I think it was just called Rama. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. And based on a, and was that an Asimov yeah. series or something? Yeah, it was yeah. based on the Asimov book. Yeah, they're like mist style games. Yeah, yeah I exactly. never played any of those. Rendered three D. Um, I think yeah, yeah, I tinkered with them only. Yeah, you know what? Rama was not a bad game at all. It was actually very, very decent. But yeah, that's another Sierra title that I don't know who developed that. If that was a Dynamics game, um, I don't know. But I, I remember thinking when I saw it, I was like, "Oh, this looks terrible." And then I think it was like ten years later, I finally sat down with a copy of it, and it's actually a very, very decent game. Um, plays a lot more like a classic Sierra point-and-click, except that it's, uh, yeah, it's just got a missed UI instead. It was, you know, mm. during the years where Sierra had been acquired by, who bought them in 96, 97? Uh, uh, was that Vivendi, or no, it was before Vivendi? Yeah, before Vivendi. Was it, uh, was it uh, a Virgin Interactive? I can't remember. I don't remember. I, no, it was some big heartless non-gaming company, I think, oh, and then okay. didn't Ken buy it back or something, and then sell it again, or I don't know if it Changed hands several times in a short period of time. Yeah, it was kind of just, likes... just before Half Life became like their big, you know, their big massive hit. Um, and then mm-hmm. they were like really struggling to come up with any sort of titles. And I remember thinking Rama was actually a very, very good game, uh, considering it's, you know, it was very much like an old throwback to the, you know, early 90s Sierra Adventures. You actually reminded me of another game, which I just looked up. I thought it was designed by Roberta Williams, but Moby Game says that she is a creative consultant, whatever that okay. means, which is Shivers, Oh yeah, which was kind right. of a halfway between Seventh Guest, halfway between Mist, as I recall. I actually own this, just in a jewel wow. case, and I played it for a very short time and never came back to it. I don't know if it's because I didn't like it. I remember, uh, yeah, Shivers was, I think, intended to be kind of... Phantasmagoria for young adults. Oh, is yeah. that Because it? Okay. it had the same sort of a tone. Yeah. It was just like so the spooky like mood it's and like all that. Goosebumps book with, with, yeah, kind of kind of like that. Okay. Oh, okay. wait a minute, wait a minute. You just said, you guys saying that just reminded me something. You guys called me the Stephen King of AGS last podcast. <laughs> oh, we did, didn't we? <laughs> and I'm not going to let that stand. You out. I, <laughs> I'm... Come on, guys. <laughs> Give me some more credit than that. Well, I think we were speaking more in terms of your voluminous back catalog, perhaps. Okay, than... well, as long as it was in quantity and not quality. I actually I have not made any adventure games about haunted cars. Hey, if I'm going to criticize you for anything, it's the fact that I still have fucking Ben Chandler's Sweet Tin in my head right Wait, now. Wait, let me get my guitar again. Hold on. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> 
But yeah, I, I think there I'm was a, I think there was a game that never got made, uh, Phantasmagoria Stage Fright, which was supposed to be. Oh uh, yeah. It was supposed to be like a kid. Yeah, it was supposed to be like a kitty, uh, Phantasmagoria. Oh really? But, well, not a kitty fan, but it was geared more towards younger players. It wasn't like you know a hardcore horror thing. Not that Phantasmagoria itself was a hardcore horror thing. Why would you do that? Because you it's want like to take as many Barney bites from the suck. apple as you can. I I don't know. Sierra was looking to make I money. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's, like that's so much of this choice. is really driven by that. I I remember thinking, um, you know, the, Sierra's developers were always pretty good, but um, LucasArts had like just a different philosophy like they wanted to make money but i always got this feeling like quality with the number one kind of concern cat lucas arts games had well yeah quality had to be near perfect yeah just going back to what i just said about quality over quantity sierra was definitely quantity and lucas arts was quality oh Oh, i actually wrote down a really good uh, richard cobbett um quote about this very matter where he says Ah. that sierra is like tv whereas lucas arts was like yeah exactly That's, I thought that encapsulated it. That very is well. really yeah, that's good. Fa- that's fantastic. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've run out of I've run out of Sierra stuff to in, in my little list. How are you? Oh, I have lots of Sierra stuff, but this has been very Roberta heavy, and I think that it's kind of better. Oh man, you guys had lists. <laughs> well, I had like I yeah, that's about as organized down, like, as we get. So professional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's us. <laughs> I just start talking and hope that I have enough to say. But <laughs> that is never a risk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. there is one thing. Ashley, um, did you guys remember King's Quest Four? I don't know which versions of the game had this, but on the version me and my sister had, there was like there's a sticker on the front of the box that says win a trip to England's like Wonderland or something. Hmm. And yeah, we were just like totally baffled by this. And it turns out, if you'd finished King's Quest Four in a, like, I think you had to finish really quickly, like when it first came out, you were actually given a code at the end of the game that you had to call Sierra with that code, and you could be put in a, a raffle to win uh, to win a trip to England. Wow. Yeah, I think cool. they did that with uh, Conquest of the Longbow, too. You could win a trip to Sherwood Forest or something. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, it was really weird. I remember me and my sister finishing the game, and you're just presented with this random code of numbers at the end of the game. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell is this? Oh, neato. Yeah, it was oh. bizarre. Huh. All right. Have we have we run out of steam I here? I think maybe we have. I mean, I could bash okay. Roberta some more, but you know, it's, uh, that's, yeah. I think we've done enough of that. Well... Well, when uh, <laughs> we, I have one uh, bullet left in the chamber here, oh. which is to uh, read the uh, rebuttal by Old Man oh. Murray oh, to yeah. the uh, quote that got us all started out here. I thought that would be a nice way to cap Good. off. Yes. So shall Please. I enlighten us all with this level-headed Please rebuttal? Please do. <laughs> okay. I will read this verbatim. Uh, first of all, I feel compelled to rebut her clearly in the rough language of average people. Fuck you, you pompous fucking bitch. <laughs> <laughs> to recap, Roberta Williams' failure, failures are in no way her own fault, but are due to the fact that you, dear reader, are an uncultured dimwit. This kind of reasoning is symptomatic of clinical depression and a warning sign of potential suicide. Oh, no. Picture me with fingers crossed, and blaming the mighty television for what ails you is meaningless pseudo-intellectual baby talk, the equivalent of easily influenced people 
of a certain income level or educational level, blindly repeating, you go, girl, and don't go there. It's an absurd, apocryphal notion she appropriated from some facile hippie deconstruction of the world circa 1983, dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the rebuttal. Good. So I think that's that kind of puts in a nutshell everything that we've said up to this point. Yeah, it saved us three hours. <laughs> Didn't it? I I gotta say though that there I think there is some truth behind the statement that there were that not just anyone owned a computer when they yeah. were brand new like in in the early well, to mid eighties yeah. it was rare for someone they were very much luxury items but I mean come on <laughs> come on Roberta I know I wasn't exactly creme de la creme for having a computer I mean my dad got my dad was uh, allowed to bring one home from work so that didn't say anything about our family or anything so i mean that's quite a stretch which he is yeah my i had a 286 that was cobbled together from hand-me-downs and garage sale acquisitions so i wasn't exactly rolling in it either but i still so maybe, maybe we're just not good enough to get her game maybe it's possible. maybe we're not maybe maybe someone can come by some random person can come by and give us a pouch of diamonds and then we can go out to the computer store and buy her games and understand them Oh, sure. I'm going to stand in my bathroom and stare at the mirror until somebody different stares back. Okay. <laughs> go on my quest. <laughs> That's what healthy people yeah. do, right? Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that will just about do her then. <laughs> so um, before I before we sign off here, uh, Mr. Francisco, is there anything that you would like to pitch? Uh, yeah, Where can we sure. Um, I guess if you like adventure games and you want to play one about real estate in the 1920s you can check out a golden wake uh at www.goldenwake.com and uh you can follow me on twitter at, at grundislav games and you can listen to my podcast at, at bct underscore podcast i say my podcast but i do it with ben chandler who has been mentioned too many times in this podcast uh <laughs> no there's no such thing as too many mentions of of that guy um and yeah that, that's a hi, yeah hi ben uh, and uh, yeah, you can you can find my games like he said on the internet. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much. I'll stick it in this week's show notes too. Last yeah. week, last week I uh, uh, posted links to uh, Grundestov. Grundestov. Oh yeah, you did. Thank is, uh, you for that, by the way. Oh, and my pleasure. I'll do it again this week because there's a lot of gems in there. I particularly recommend, by the way, one called Back to oh, yeah. which is a short and very poignant and interesting very and old game with a, a lot of ways And it's play. actually yeah, really the sequel to A Golden Wake. Personal favorite. <laughs> is it? <laughs> yeah. I made Backdoor Man. I made Backdoor Man and it, as a spiritual prequel to A Golden Wake. That's how far ahead I was thinking. That's pretty forward. If you play it, if you play it now, after... What's that? That explains a lot. <laughs> yeah, if you if you play it, there's like a ton of references to a Golden Wake in there. Uh, are you yeah, serious? I'm serious. Wow! Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I know what I'm doing. Uh, what I'm I'll doing tell you this. this. Look at when you go to the uh, the man client. Look at the hotel in the background. Uh, and when you go oh. to when you have the date with the lady, talk about um, talk about your family. Or tell the truth about your family. Wow. wow. And then at the end, oh, that's crazy. And uh, make sure that the old lady gets dies, so that when the police officer comes, he calls you by your real name. And there you go. Those are the three major references to a golden wake. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah. that is super cool. Okay, I'm certainly going to check this out, and I definitely recommend to my listeners, to our my listeners, my listeners, you guys can't have any. Sorry, that uh, you check out this free 
little game by Francisco it is a really good one. It stands on its own, but apparently if you play it at Golden Wake, which you also ought to, Golden Wake absolutely will be all the more rewarding. Fantastic Love sequel this game. to Gold Rush. Loved it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, from from uh, from the much celebrated Stephen King of Adventure. <laughs> Does that mean I'm going to get hit by a car? <laughs> we can only hope. I better look both ways before I cross the street. <laughs> so thank you very much listeners for joining us today awesome to have you aboard we would love to hear any of your experiences with Sierra games or uh, hear any of your romantic love poetry about Roberta or Ken Williams or his mustache um, you can reach us on the web at squarefm.demodulated.com by email squarefm at demodulated.com on twitter we're squarewavesfm and uh, our telnet bbs the ever popular is squarewaves.zap2.org fantastic and can't wait to see you all next week and I hope you're having a great week yeah yeah so long everybody thanks a million and watch out for Roberta bye watch out she's coming for you bye